What is going on everyone? This is Miles Dompierre and welcome to the 104th episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today, I am stoked to be joined by the very first time by the Andy Cortez of Kinda Funny. Andy, how are you doing on this beautiful, blessed Saturday morning? I mean, Miles, you got me to wake up and that yes. is, that was struggle number one. If anybody knows me, you know, you know, one if I'm awake by 1 p.m., if I'm up and at him at 1 p.m., I'm feeling fresh. And it's like, wow, I got the whole weekend ahead of me. I'm really proud of myself. But right now, I'm glad you asked me to do this because now I can actually be a functional adult, you know? Yeah, love that. I, You know, anytime I reach out to someone on the West Coast, I always start with, yo, I'm sorry. I know it's 10 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not having fun on a Friday night and want to have fun on a Saturday morning, what's what's up? How, how's it looking? So I'm glad you're joining me. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends who do shows on the weekends as well, and they're like East Coast. So for me, it's 9 a.m. So when they reach out to me, it's... Oh my like, God. It's like an ask. It's an ask. You know, I don't mind getting up a little early, but you know, I got that alarm set for 745 every day. That's my, that's my time to get up. And if I got to push it, Ooh, you want me to get up at seven? Excuse me. I'm yeah. Sorry. I'm, what? Come on. This is the sun even out. What are the, what are the birds? The birds aren't chirping yet. You know, who knows? The roosters aren't even out, bro. Come on. <laughs> the crack of 7 a.m. <laughs> Well, man, I'm stoked to have you. We have a lot to talk about. We scheduled this a few weeks out, but you picked a, a hell of a week to be on an Xbox-centric show, brother. We got to talk about Armored Core 6, got its release date. Can't wait to dive into that. We're going to be talking about Dark Souls 3. We're going to be sharing our impressions of The Last Case of Bene Benedict Fox. We're going to be talking about Star Wars Jedi Survivor and the uh, ongoing PC problem. We're going to be talking about the CMA blocking the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard King. We're going to be picking the five best modern video game developers and so much more. But before we get into all of that, this is your first time on the show. So something I like to do with new guests is I want to know who you are, where people can find you, and last but not least, why you love gaming. My name is Andres Cortez. Everybody calls me Andy or the Nitro Rifle. I work for Kinda Funny. I stream on the side part-time. Uh, every once in a while, I'll be on Kind of Funny Games Daily, which is the daily news show we do on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. I am a full-time member on the Kind of Funny Games cast, and uh, that's where we review games. We play games, you know, early embargo and all that fun stuff. Um, and I stream on Twitch.tv slash Andy Cortez uh, about eh, three to four days a week, depending on how tired I am. Since it is my part-time job, I have zero consistency. Sorry, I'll probably never make a schedule. <laughs> Uh, love that. Uh, and again, most important question, why do you love gaming? Man? Why are you, why are you on kind of funny? Why are you in the space? Why are you having these conversations every week? I mean, it's the best medium to exist. Um, it's the only place that can make you feel while also interacting with the medium. Uh, and I've always been sort of a, I've always been a sucker for just like visual feasts. And that's why I got into game development and I love game art. And I am just a fiend for that. Like whenever a big game releases and then the game artists on the team release like their art dumps on ArtStation or whatever, I, I just, I love everything about it. Um, I, it's stuff like the CMA blocking the Xbox acquisition that make me kind of hate and get bored <laughs> by the industry. So I try to find my love in other places like beating Dark Souls 3 last night for the very first time. Oh, man, we're going to talk about a lot about Dark Souls, a lot about From Software. And um, yeah, it's 
a lot of us, despite the news beats, like you said, the CMA thing, the ABK deal, uh, for, for the most of us, that's not the reason that we are here listening to podcasts, having these conversations. We're here because of what games mean to us. And so video games present a medium that we can connect with on a level that nothing else offers. Movies, I love films, or yeah, films, obviously the same. Music, I love as well. You can have those emotional connections, but there's this sense of attachment and investment. You are connected to this medium in a way that other media, you can't with other mediums. So yeah, that's beautiful, man. Appreciate having you on. We're going to be talking a lot about video games, despite the the fact that we do and will have to dive into the CMA discourse, brother. We're going to be, there's a lot, there's a lot there, but we have a lot of games that we're going to talk about first. So don't you worry. We're going to talk about video games first and foremost on this video game podcast. All right. Um, Because I've made this joke a million times, but boy, howdy, am I going to be excited when we are on the other side of the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. So are the so are the listeners and viewers around the world. That's <laughs> <laughs> like I you know whenever whenever I wake up and I see the kind of funny games daily run through and there's another update to it. It just reminds me of you know I'm I'm a big sports fan. I love the NBA. I love the NFL. I love baseball. And it's turning on that podcast you love listening to, or just let me watch. To, let me turn on Sports Center. Uh, but I got YouTube TV a couple of years ago. It's like, oh, I'm watching TV again. It's kind of weird. Let me throw on SportsCenter and watch some recent highlights. And there's an, there's news articles or like news dumps and conversations about the collective bargaining agreement and <laughs> players unionization. And it's just like, oh my god, I just want to see some touchdowns, some slam dunks. You know, like that's what all this CMA stuff is to me. And I will, I too will be glad. And I don't even freaking have to report on it every day. I will also be glad when all this is over. So, listeners, we're so close. We're so we're close. So, we're so cl- maybe, maybe we're close. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. we're gonna talk all about, we're about that. Four hundred days away. <laughs> yeah, oh, just another four hundred days, yeah. baby. Eighteen more months. Eighteen more months. <laughs> oh my god. Some quick housekeeping before we get into the show proper. If you are tuning in for the first time and unaware, Xbox Chatterdays has a cool little Discord. It's a recent thing, a lot of great folks in there. If you are interested, there is a link in the description of the YouTube video. And for the audio listeners, there's a link in the description as well. Xbox Chatterdays has a merch store. A lot of you have been tagging me with your sick death metal font Xbox Chatterdays t-shirts. Love seeing those out in the wild. They turned out so sick, so gnarly. So if you haven't checked out that, there's a link in the description as well for the merch store. Um, subscribers, if you are new, if you're tuning in for the first time, digging the show, having a good time, subscribe. You know, I'm not really good. I'm not very good about toot, tooting my own horn and saying, you know, smash that like button, share it out, all of that stuff. But it does help. It means a lot. So if you are digging it, do all that stuff. Feed, feed the machine. Feed that algorithm. You, you know the drill. Um, some member shout outs. In the supporter tier, we got Sinful Sadie TTV. We got Gold Shell WPR, Christopher Davis, Buddy McClure, Rachel, Derek Griffin Jones, V Simcoe, Anthony, and last but certainly not least, my mom uh (laughs) i know she's she's a sweetheart you know that's great yeah my brother subscribes to me on twitch and every time i'm like i love you bro yeah it means a lot it means a lot Mm -hmm. uh in the loyalist tier we got tom whiteside we got john grisula we got patrick and we got nick w and an extra special shout out to all of the producers matt valdez yodani quazada hargeet chani and mr joanna dark all right dude with all of the the kind of noise with the ABK deal, with a lot of the the pessimism surrounding the video games industry as of late, 
Uh, something I've been doing recently is starting the show with the games you're loving. So we're going to be talking about Star Wars. So hopefully, you know, maybe outside of Star Wars a little bit, if possible. But what games are you loving right now? Um, well, I just beat Dark Souls 3 last night. Um, and obviously Jedi Survivor is another game that I got to play uh, a decent amount of until I realized, let me wait until some PC patches come in. Um, you know, games have been broken as of late, so I'm not super surprised by the state of Jedi Survivor, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Dark Souls 3 last night was the end of a very long journey. I started it, started streaming it for my birthday, which was the middle of February. And it's been a long time coming. Whenever a new game comes out, I try to just stream whatever. I don't want to, my issue with a lot of the Souls games was like, I don't want the people watching my streams to get too hooked on Souls games and then me to just play all of them within six months and be like, all right, all the Souls games are done. I wanted to really just kind of like pat it out, you know? So Dark Souls 3 is done. What a freaking journey. It took a long time. That DLC, those DLCs are just incredibly meaty. There's so much freaking content there. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, I'd say that's the game that every year there's been a new Souls title or a new FromSoft title that I play through that then becomes like the, man, if I would have played it back then, that would have been like a top three, probably number one uh, on my games of the year that year. So Dark Souls 3, man, pretty good game, pretty good oh, video game. Oh, dude, I was so stoked because I know you've been kind of making your way through all the Souls games. And like you said, you haven't been doing the marathon, the gauntlet of doing them right. all back to back to back, but you've been slowly but surely playing through all of these. And so when I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to blow the souls load. That's the yeah, thing. It's yeah, like, no, if you do it too much, people are, you know, I, I've, I'm very, very anxious about the content that I'm streaming. And I'm very, I get very anxious about like, well, if all the souls games are done, nobody's going to come back to watch anything else. And so like, obviously there's always a big viewer bump with souls games because of how diehard the community is, how yeah. much they want to see you react to their favorite moments and their favorite boss fights or musical hits or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so uh, I think in the start of the pandemic, it was no, no, no. It was 2019, right before the pandemic and um, uh, a year before. And for my birthday, I was like, I'll finally play Bloodborne for you all. Uh, you all have been asking for it. I'll finally play Bloodborne. But don't get too hooked on it. I'm going to play it for an hour or two. All right. Everybody in the chat, you got just relax. I'm just going to play it for a little bit. And then it became just an absolute obsession uh, for the next several years where every once in a while, I'll just throw on another Vati video, lower video and just like let it play. Oh, just because I love Vati, it so much. take me away, man. Take me away. Oh my God, that sultry voice. Um, so yeah, Bloodborne was there and then it became Sekiro and then Dark Souls 1 and then Demon Souls when Demon Souls came out on PS5, the remake. And yeah, it's I've been kind of like playing one a year and making my my way through there more recent catalog the the miyazaki catalog i'd call it right and uh and yeah now we're here fully complete through dark souls 3 and what a journey it was what oh man it's again we're gonna talk more about that later because you and i are gonna you haven't played all all of the from software games but we're gonna we're gonna rank some of the ones that you have played but going into elden ring dark souls 3 for me that was that was the pinnacle that was the culmination of everything from software had learned from Dark Souls and Demon Souls and Bloodborne, and it all just came together in this experience. It was unlike anything else. I remember I had surgery on my left testicle around the right before the game came out. So I was out of work for three weeks and I had three straight weeks to just get lost in this world. And it was just a magical moment. Every single day, we're just waking up 
you know, limping over to my my chair and <laughs> playing Dark Souls three, and it was just just such an amazing experience. And again, I'm gonna have to have surgery on my testicle most likely because of Miyazaki just constantly kicking me in it. Like, oh, <laughs> of every every moment you turn a quarter, I'm just getting just kicked nonstop. So, uh-huh. yeah, I poison get that. swamps. I feel it. How many games? Armored Core six. You're gonna throw a poison swamp in there. Oh, Jesus. You son of, of a bitch. Of course he is. Of course son, he is. You sick, sadistic <laughs> son of a bitch. Of course that's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, that's going to be like the, I'll take the over there. You know what I mean? I'll take the over for betting people, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'd throw down money on that. Um, so mm-hmm. love hearing that. Love hearing that you're playing Dark Souls. Um, for me right now, last week I was amped up. Evil Dead Rise. Came out in theaters last Friday. I told you last week I was going to see Evil Dead Rise right after the show. Right after the show, I went and saw Evil Dead Rise, and it kicked so much ass. It was so good, so bloody, such a fantastically paced horror film. It's not as brutal as Evil Dead 2013, which is one of the... I hate using this word, but it's the only fitting word. It's one of the most visceral films. It's just every moment is just pushing the boundaries of what you can show on a screen, especially for a movie that was in theaters. Um, Evil Dead Rise, not nearly as gory, but still disgusting, still gross. A new new tone, a new setting for the Evil Dead universe um, with a lot of great callbacks to what people love about the series. So fantastic. And with that, Evil Dead Game of the Year edition, Evil Dead The Game, Game of the Year edition, <laughs> dropped last week. Um, and I've been diving back into that. You know, I'm all aboard oh, nice. the Evil Dead hype train. I got the squad reunited, you know, picked up the horn, said, Boys, are we back? Are we back in? And sure enough, got the squad together. So we've been getting some rounds in for Evil Dead the game. And oh, it feels good. It feels good to just see that universe and that franchise celebrated and new people. turn. That's my favorite thing is people who watched Evil Dead Rise as their first Evil Dead movie and said, yo, this is rad. And then going down that rabbit hole, watching Evil Dead 1, 2, Army of Darkness, diving into Evil Dead the game because of just being impressed by what this world presented. So Evil Dead just been warming my soul, dude. It's 2023 is the year of Evil Dead, and let's let's keep it going. So that's that's honestly, awesome. Outside of the stuff that I can't talk about, that's what I've been grinding. I've been going hard, hard on some Evil Dead the game again. Let's go. I had I had such a weird obsession with that game for at least three weeks. Where when that game came out, um, I think it was just such a neatly kind of balanced and designed game, and it, I think that was like one of my more more surprising titles of the year. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I was the gunslinger lady, just popping ads. I know nothing about horror movies. I'm too scared. I generally kind of stray away from anything scary. I think about them at night too much, and I just get freaked out a little bit too much. <laughs> but the the game, I had a lot of freaking fun with. Like to the point where you know I'm into a game when I'm playing it off stream without friends. When it's like I have free time, let me get a couple rounds in. Yeah, like that's the brother. that's the mark of a game that I'm really into, and I got super into that game um, to the point where uh, I think like I kept on telling Snowbike Mike, who's been on this show several times, so I'm like, Mike, I think I'm a rank five in the world. Like no joke, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> like, I am up there, man. Oh, but no, I, I had a lot of fun with that game, so that's great to hear that you're kind of back at it. Um, how 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 scary are we talking? Evil Dead Rise? How um, hit me with a movie that you thought was too scary, and I'll and I'll tell you where it compares. 
Oh gosh. Um, let's see the the haunted mansion with Eddie Murphy. Terrifying. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna like, <laughs> okay. say it's it's like it's probably one one step above oh, the haunted gotcha. mansion. Okay. Good so to know. you might be know. able to tolerate it. All right. Good to know. Great. Yeah, I know. I know haunted Ma- mansion pushed some boundaries in cinema. Sure did. So. Yeah, Resident Evil Two playing that playing the remake for the first time last year was the key indicator of like this is my line. This is like, oh, okay. th- this is okay. the line in the sand because uh, I I usually will play scary games for charity if we like raise enough money and stuff. And that was the one where I was like, do I really care about charity? Like that was like, that was. Hey, that, kids. Sorry. Not today. Andy's, <laughs> Andy's too. Smart. That was the that was the line of the sand for me. Well, Resident Evil 2 was just like too much for me. And I played through Dead Space this year. I was scared for sure. But. I had a lot of fun with the gameplay, and I think like um, the the level of skill involved with cutting off the limbs and all that. Like I, I just have fun being a third person, first person shooter, mouse and keyboard type player. But Resident Evil Two was one where I just like I can only play this for an hour at a time because I just feel like garbage the whole time. My body feels gross. I'm just like I'm hot, I'm sweaty, <laughs> but it's cold in the room. I don't know what's going on right now. Uh, see, I love that. I started way too young. I started playing games like Resident Evil Director's Cut when I was like seven. So really, did I. Really, and that's really why young. I'm weird. That's why I'm weirded out by my more recent. I wouldn't say recent turn into being, uh, you know, super averse to scary games because I was, I was into them as a kid. Like when you, when your friend brought over Resident Evil on PlayStation One, and mm. you feel cool because you're playing something like mature level. This is it's M rated. Like, you see yeah. the M logo on the disc and slap that, and you're like, "Ooh, this is naughty. I shouldn't be watching this. I shouldn't be. I, was, I shouldn't be looking at this." I was super into it. I don't know what happened. I think like I went on a field trip as a kid to go watch The Sixth Sense, and we were way too young to watch that, and that just that was the turn for me. That was the turn. Uh, yeah, watching Child's Play as a, as a, as a child and having a recurring nightmare where I was laying in my bed and then I, I felt my bed rumble. And you do the stereotypical, the oh. cliche thing where you slowly go to the edge, you slowly put your head down and you look under the bed. And sure enough, Chucky's there, scares the hell out of me. And it was that recurring dream over and over. It was a short, it was brief because I woke up sc- screaming every time I got to the part where he jumped out. But it was just, you know, and then that being said, like, despite the fact that I could only play Resident Evil for 15 minutes at a time and just had to turn it off because I was just like heart was just racing. I don't know. I guess I'm just a sicko who's just, you know, chases that high ever since. Some that, people are freaks. That's OK, Miles. Yeah, let it your freak flag fly. All right, <laughs> let's go. Snowbike Mike in the chat says he was top five NA. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. All right. So what's up, Mike? Mike's in the chat. Are we going back? Can, can we get the squad the other dive back in some Evil Dead the game? I got to like dust off the old, uh, I mean, I, I have nothing to dust off really. Yeah, I'll hop in. I'll hop in for a game oh, and then quickly uninstall it. <laughs> yeah, okay, beautiful. That's, you know, that's all I expect. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which this is a highly anticipated game, uh, one of the most highly anticipated games of the year. It's been tracking well in terms of boring analytics. It is a huge game. People love Star Wars. The first game did incredibly well. It was this beautiful amalgamation of Star Wars and the Souls-like formula, the action RPG with a compelling narrative that connected with Star Wars fans. A lot of people are pointing to Star Wars Jedi Survivor as one of the best Star Wars games of all time, one of the best Star Wars stories of all time. But there's been some caveats with its release that have, you know, a lot of fans are upset about. So we're going to be having some broad conversations about the game itself 
and the performance of the game and how that should be factored in when it comes to reviews. Because there's been a lot of people online mad saying, yo, this game got a nine, but it runs like trash. What's up? What's the deal here? So Mm -hmm. I want to have some conversations about all of that. But first and foremost, I haven't played this. I know you've been playing. I've listened to you talk about it on Twitter and kind of funny. So overall, outside of the performance, how are you feeling about Star Wars Jedi Survivor? When we reviewed it, I the number one thing I kept on saying on all of our sort of previews and all of our media leading up to its release was there is so much room for improvement going from Fallen Order to Survivor. They uh, Respawn knows all the things that need to be fixed because they probably heard it a million times in articles and podcasts and stuff like that. And I'm sure they knew stuff that they wanted to improve because I'm sure it's stuff they couldn't even they couldn't fit into the original Fallen Order release. Right. Um, It I think Jedi Survivor improves on everything it needed to in terms of, uh, you know, adding fast travel to the map. You know, the map system was kind of a big bugaboo for a lot of people, including me. And the backtracking was not very fun. And if you accidentally fell down or didn't grab onto that ledge correctly, suddenly you're backtracking even more and. It's it can be a nightmare in some moments um, in terms of just adding more minutes to your playtime that you weren't really you know accounting for. So I think Jedi Survivor improves on Fallen Order in every way possible. I haven't beaten the story yet, so that's where I'm hearing that around like uh, maybe two thirds of the way through that there's some really cool story developments that happen. I'm excited to get to that whenever I do get to it. However, a lot of my playing of it was i did have to stop playing because performance was just not great um and everybody listening to this has probably seen all the scuttlebutt on twitter about it now that everybody's kind of getting their hands on it um i just watched the digital foundry video on it as well which just was released this morning and yeah there are uh star wars jedi survivor has a large open roam free roam kind of area and that's where you want to do your exploring. That's where you want to hear little NPCs talk about rumors. Oh, there's a cave over here. There's a this and that over there. And that were, that's where I was like severely discouraged from doing that stuff because performance was just not up to par at all. Um, and it seems to be that the game just isn't really utilizing your GPU a whole lot. It is super CPU heavy on PC. And I know some players on consoles are like, well, it's fine for me. I'm on console. Uh, But um, I tried it on PS5. and I crashed within five minutes of booting up the game and performance. Not super great either. Whenever the console versions does its sort of dynamic scaling of the resolution, like, hey, we're trying to give you more and more frames because you're playing on performance mode. Let's dial down the resolution in this moment to try to keep up with those frames. And it drops down to as low as 720p in some moments, which is just like awful, awful, awful stuff. You can see the pixels on your TV, depending on how close you're sitting to it. Uh, so, yeah, not a, not an ideal release for Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which is a big bummer because that's what I felt was like, well, hopefully the lessons were learned from Fallen Order because Fallen Order had the same issues at launch. Let's hope that they uh, release this game and it's working really well and, you know, I don't think any game can be perfectly released nowadays. I just feel like um, devs sometimes over get sort of uh, a little too overly ambitious and the scope gets too large and publishers and 
everybody that owns stocks wants that game out faster. Like, it's just... Let's go. I want my money back so I can spend that money on another game. It's such a bad kind of uh, relationship that happens. And the games like this that should be, without a doubt, 9 out of 10s or 10 out of 10s always have the asterisk and the caveats of, well, hopefully, you know, the There's day, a day one, one patch... patch. Um... Oh, there's going to be some updates down the road. Eventually, it'll be good. Eventually, yeah. the performance will be good. Yeah, and 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 I totally understand, you know, the the reactions from a lot of people in the audience or just people on Twitter or just gamers in general that are like, I'm not paying to be a beta player. I am paying to have the game ready, and I don't want to have to wait for um, for updates and stuff like that. So I, for me, it's like I would have... I said on our review, if I could snap my fingers and delay this game another three months, go back in time and just say, like, get another delay in there. Really, really get it honed in. This would be a without a doubt number one game of the year candidate right now. And it is just kind of plagued by all of these issues. And that becomes the conversation leader, which kind of stinks. I mean, it's a really, really good game aside from all the issues, you know? Yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing about a lot of us who are engaged with the conversations online, because there probably is a percentage of people who just played the game and maybe aren't stoked about the performance, but just play the game and move on. They don't go online. They don't see what people are saying. Right. But if you are someone who wants to have the conversations about the games and what people are saying about the game, the first and foremost thing you hear about Star Wars Jedi Survivor right now is that the game runs poorly on every single platform, PC being the big standout. Um, Digital Foundry was very critical of the the PC port of this. And it's just, it, again, like you said, it dampens that release. And this isn't always indicative of a problem, but every time I see a delay of one month, that get, that has me, you know, that's some red flags. That performance isn't where it needs to be, and they're trying to do everything in their power to get it good enough to get out the door. And again, I've talked about this ad nauseum. I've talked to a lot of developers. I know what goes into shipping a game. And the fact that any game ships really at all, especially like a multi-platform release, is just a, a culmination of, you know, luck and a bunch of talent coming together in this mm -hmm. experience. So it's, I'm not trying to downplay the work or say that the developers are not talented because that's not what the case is. Like you said, it's just this pressure and this weight of investors. And as soon as you're beholden to an investor, you need to get a product out the door in a time frame that keeps them happy. Otherwise, they're pulling their money. Otherwise, they're not investing in the future. And it's this kind of ugly relationship where most of the time you have to release a game you know could be better and should launch in a better state, but it's in a good enough state. And again, updates and patches can come. You can get that initial sales pop out the door and then use that money to ensure that there's development support down the road to put into the next game, put into ongoing patches. And it's just, it's just a vicious cycle. And it sucks for the people who just want to ship a game in the best possible state and make the best possible game because the business reality says that now that's that doesn't make financial sense for us so sorry that's not what's going to happen here right and i and i think in that sort of situation the developer should be trusted a lot more by the publisher and i know like you know ea always gets a ton of shit but i think ea has been turning the corner a lot as of recent years and it was really with the start of fallen order like fallen order is the reason why you have developers like Bioware saying, you know what, this game really showed us and showed investors and showed people at the top that not every game needs to be a live service game, that there are other ways that you can make 
a lot of money if you make a really, really good single player game. Not everything needs a battle pass and all that stuff. And Fallen Order was the one that kind of proved to the industry that single player games are still extremely viable. Big budget AAA single player yes. games, obviously. And and I just wish that more trust was put with them to like, you know what, delay it six more months. Like, just get it right. In the way that, you know, obviously Xbox has had their uh, their myriad of issues as of late, but in the way that I feel like Xbox has no problem as of recent times delaying games because they know it's best for the end product. Yeah, because you the last thing you want is that momentum and the energy of a game and its audience, especially when it comes to new IP, to be tanked because of something in the grand scheme of things is trivial. Um, yeah. Because as we've heard from so many people, Star Wars Jedi Survivor is an excellent, amazing game. Mm -hmm. I've seen countless people say it is the best Star Wars game that has ever been made. And it is, like you said, just point blank, one of the best games of the year, a game of the year contender. Um, but for some people, they have to overlook the fact that it doesn't run very well. And there's a lot of problems if you're playing in performance mode on console or if you're playing on PC at all. So that's led a lot of people to, as, as is common, question the review process and say, yo, how can you give this game a 9 out of 10 when it runs like this? And so I want to have a conversation with you and the community about that very topic because some people are saying there needs to be a universal metric in place that, you know, weights performance against the score and blah, blah, blah. But how heavily should performance be weighed on a review in your eyes? Um, I mean, I think if the industry all comes together and agrees that a score should not be given out unless like, you know, these demands are met or whatever, I think that just kind of creates a weird relationship with publishers and developers. Um, I think as long as reviewers like us and like many others are putting that caveat at the beginning are putting that asterisk and saying, hey, we're playing on a version of the game that isn't very good. However, the developers told us that the day one patch will fix a lot of our stuff. And the amount of times that on our review, we were saying, now, who knows if that happens? Because that's the reality. I mean, we don't know. Shit. I dude, I just played through Fallen Order again for the first time since it came out. And like, it's still framey on PC in a lot of areas. And that, you know, it's just PC ports are just kind of that's the way things go. Um, but yeah, I, th I think as long as the general audience is going into it knowing that there are um, a lot of caveats and asterisks being put in there. Now, if developers said, hey, by the way, the day one patch, like there is no day one patch. We're, our first patch will be a month after release. Then that I feel like is a little bit more black and white of a, all right, this game doesn't really one, run very great. The content is great. The acting, the level design, everything that makes a video game a video game, phenomenal. But you're not going to have a hopefully repaired version of it until a month into its release, then I feel like that's definitely more decisive. But what happens a lot is these developers tell us, the reviewers, don't worry about it. They one patch should fix a lot of these issues. And that puts us in a weird spot of, well, will it, will it not? Who knows if it's even fixed? Um, I don't know. I, th I think what really kind of messes it, messes it up is when these publishers put out that, beautiful graphic with that logo and that hero shot and it's 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 and they want to show off their product and they want to 
the general public to know how kick-ass their game is. But not all those general public people listen to reviews or listen to podcasts. They just see that number and they buy the game and they're disappointed. And they're disappointed for a good reason, obviously. It's such a weird spot. Like, what are your feelings on it? What, What do you think... I'm very conflicted because I, you know, there's been this outcry from people who want objective video game reviews. And I'm very much of the mindset that fundamentally video games are art and you can't objectively evaluate art. That being said, performance is a very objective thing. Performance is this is good frame rate. This is good resolution. That's the end of the story. There's no true, inter- yeah. per- interpretation there. So it's this conflict of the art and the the objective technical information coming to a head so i'm of the mindset that when i agree when you were talking about a game if there are performance issues mention them and let people decide whether or not that's going to be a big factor for you i typically feel like if it dramatically impacts the game if the performance problems are so bad that it makes the game feel worse to play I think that is enough to warrant a detriment to the score of the game regardless of you know the, the day one promises and basically say, hey, this is what we experienced. There is an, a day one patch coming that could address this, but we're not going to know. We can't know. So this is what our experience with the game was. And I think that's a valid way to approach it. That being said, I don't I've seen people say that Star Wars Jedi Survivor can't get an eight, can't get a nine out of 10 because of these frame rate issues. I'll push back on that and say, like, it's really going to be dependent on the person and how those issues affect them i had people telling me i couldn't give elden ring a five out of five because it dropped eight frames because it went down to 52 fps i couldn't give it a five out of five storm hill and i said no you're out of your mind like for me it wasn't enough to negatively impact my enjoyment of that game enough to dock an entire point off which is what some people believe that if this game drops 20 frames you need to drop 20 percent off its score just automatically and i don't think there is a universal way to evaluate performance in a in a score format unless you're yeah. a, a digital foundry where that is your your bread and butter you're not even talking about the game itself for the most part you were talking about the raw figures and data and that's just not how i like to talk about video games that's not what i go to reviews for obviously i want to know if it runs like crap and i think a lot of people even in some of the nine out of ten reviews that i've read Every single one has said, yo, the performance ain't, it ain't good. We played on Mm -hmm. Xbox, we played on PS5, and in performance mode, that was dipping hard, and we could feel those dips. Um, So Yeah, unless we go back to the GamePro magazine days of, this gets a 4 out of 5 for sound, and a 5 out of 5 for graphics. Like, (laughs) that's that's definitely, I don't think, an area we want to go back to. And again, a lot of it comes down to, what is the reviewer willing to uh, to deal with? And what are your expectations from the game? And, you know, like when I played Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and I know that game runs like garbage, but I'm not really expecting uh, <laughs> a game that to run well anyway on Switch. <laughs> so, like, that's not really a good excuse, but that's kind of what I'm expecting from this game on this piece of hardware and the same thing with when tears of the kingdom comes out i'm going to be very similar where it's like yeah i think everything i think all the content in the game is fantastic of course it runs at 30 frames per second because it's running on a switch and i know and understand that but when a big title like 
Jedi Survivor comes out and it looks gorgeous and it's you know the next cutting edge and it's using the latest version of Unreal Engine 4 the same one that we saw absolutely kick ass with Callisto Protocol Callisto Protocol I didn't really care much for the game but gorgeous right like yeah, insanely visually, gorgeous visuals yeah. we know that this game is like bleeding edge type stuff and me as a consumer who has um a core i9 processor with an rtx 4090 i go oh man i can't wait to like i'm gonna lock this at 60 frames play on like super high settings maybe yeah. turn on ray tracing every once in a while and to deal with issues like that are it, it's a bummer you have expectations that these games should not do this Although we're getting to the point, as I was mentioning earlier, like it kind of is becoming an expectation now. Like when was the last time there was a good PC port? Whenever Greg Miller asks me an email, what kind of code do you want? And I say, give me an Xbox and a PC code because who knows how the PC version is going to work. That sucks as a consumer. Like the, the I know there are a lot of configurations and I know game development is hard. I did it for three years. I know what it takes and all the issues you run into when I'm specking out, uh, when we're specking out how our game should run. And then we get somebody in a forum saying, well, I'm running a Radeon, whatever. It's like, dog, that's like an eight-year-old processor. Well, how do you expect that? Like, I know there's a, a buttload of configurations out there. You still have to take those into account. If anything, delay the PC version two months, three months. Release it in a good state and players will be a lot more happy getting a better, more fluid, uh, stable product. Yeah, and that's that's the problem with a lot of PC development is there are so many variables. Your, your driver versions, your hardware, there's so many different possibilities for how a game can run. And so these devs, they have a system in place, they have a specific hardware configuration, and almost all major developers will have like a high end, a mid, and a low end that they test on. But that being said, those aren't that's not the gambit of everything that exists in the space. And so you you hear this a lot with with games that have problems where somebody's like, Man, this runs like garbage for me. And then somebody's like, Bro, I don't know what the problem is. Runs fine on my PC. Oh, Sorry, gosh. don't know what to tell you, brother. It's running great. And you're like, well, I don't know what to tell you because it's running like crap for me. It's other games aren't, and this is running like crap. And that's the the variable that happens with PC yeah. development because a console is this. This is the hardware. No matter where you're at, this is what the hardware is going to be. And that's it. You're doing one thing. In the case of Xbox, you have the Series X and S, so there's two. But that being said, two versus hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of variables. And so I think with a lot of PC development right now, they're finding examples where it runs well in their in their testing a small really small portion of their testing and they say all right well let's get it out there i think that's good and then they are learning a hard lesson that oh wow this actually doesn't work on this or this or this or this or this and you have yeah mostly it mostly negative on steam with so many pc ports because people who have spent three four thousand dollars on just a mega rig who are expecting every single game to run flawlessly are having experiences where no matter what, it doesn't run well for them. And when you've invested that much time and energy and money, not only into the game, but into your rig, uh, I think you just kind of lose patience. And that's the problem with the, the PC audience is they're very invested in, in that space and having a premium, a, just an unquestionably premium experience. Yeah. And I think the, the sad reality of it is that a lot of times these games don't get delayed or aren't even there isn't even a question of whether we should put it out if there 
aren't game breaking bugs. If but if you look at it, if you're the developers and you're the, the head of engineering or whatever, and you see that the game still runs and it doesn't crash and it, you don't encounter game breaking bugs that completely just destroy the experience, ship it. I know it's running at 42 frames per second. Ship it. We can fix these issues later. The the it's okay because nothing is completely just your saves aren't being destroyed. Well, some people's saves are being destroyed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no. Uh, oh no. Yeah, deal. Uh, I was talking to to Blessing, and he was like, "Oh yeah, skill ups, uh, save got deleted." And I was like, "Oof." Well, I'm playing on PC too. I I hope mine doesn't get deleted. And luckily, mine was not deleted. But a lot of people, a lot of reviewers playing on PC were having that issue. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the reality of it. Is like, as long as there are no bugs that are going to catastrophically destroy or, or catastrophically destroy the game, ship it. We can work on the frame rate later. Those could be patches that we work on for the next coming months. It's okay for now. We have to hit this date. We delayed it so many times. This date is like cannot be moved again. It's good enough, and that's where it's at. And then you have the flip side, where you have Sekiro is one of my favorite examples, where clearly they had a vision in mind. There is a sequence, there is a specific sequence in the game where there are a bunch of monkeys, just a way more enemies than are in any other area of the game, to the to the point where the game tanks. It goes from just a locked sixty FPS to like five frames per second. For this group of monkeys and then i look at that decision i say that's that's miyazaki or somebody saying i don't care how this runs i want these 10 monkeys here okay <laughs> i don't yeah. i don't care you know what don't don't come to me and complain about how it runs that is my vision for this moment of the game and it will not be altered regardless of how it performs and then in moments like that i'm like you know what i kind of respect it all right if you're, you're, <laughs> you know if you're so set that you're going to just absolutely tank performance to have 10 monkeys for there's no other moment in the game where you have that many enemies on the screen, but they said, you know what? This has to be, this is my vision for this moment. It's and, the lead up to it, you know? And am I going to look at that and that. say, oh, this is five frames per second. So actually Sekiro is, it's kind of a bad game. I'm going to give, it was a 10 out of 10, but these monkeys are five frames per second. So I'm going to give you a nine. Sorry. That's a whole point deducted, brother. Next time, take a few monkeys out. Sorry, Miyazaki. You're washed, bro. You're washed. All right, get it together. You think you have a vision? Well, this this ain't it. All right, if that's I played, your... I I played Sekiro with unlocked frame rate on the PC mod. I had a great time. <laughs> I had a ooh, great time. <laughs> really, really good stuff. It's a beautiful game. Beautiful, beautiful game. So again, it's tough. It's really tough. And there's been a lot of people very annoyed about this year because we've had Wild Hearts, which ran like absolute garbage on PC. I was yeah. playing it on Series X, and I remember playing the Series X version and having huge drops. And I was like, man, this console port's rough. That's unfortunate. And then I'd look online and see the PC footage. I'm like, oh, no, the console port is actually the best way to play this game. Wow, okay. And then that was that was one of the games, Miles, that I said, get me two codes, Greg Miller. And I played it on PC. I said, nope, I'm going to play on <laughs> PlayStation. Um, I usually play all my stuff on Xbox because I like my controller more, but I had just paid for this scuff controller. Oh, uh, I yeah, bought a scuff got, PlayStation oh, controller and I was paddles? like, mm, mm. I need to like actually utilize this controller and not just <laughs> let it sit there all the time. Uh, but then I got this bad boy. This I just show this off all the time. Like I just I'm just Ooh. so freaking in love with this series. Oh, the that Elite bomb, Two series. That controller. bomb pop color scheme is that? Oh, what yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah I love. I love that. it. I love this controller. Yeah. So it's again, it's 
It's hard for me to say that there needs to be a universal scale for every reviewer, but that being said, I think it's worth having the conversation in a review, saying, hey, this is, this is what it runs like. If that's gonna be a problem for you, that's gonna be a problem for you. If that's not a problem for you, you can still enjoy this game. And I think both things are equally valid. I think both, both ideas, both opinions are fair when it comes to reviewing a game. Fundamentally, the review scores in general, this is another separate conversation, but review scores boil thousands of words or, or hours of, of ideas and thoughts and opinions into one number and that is such a disservice to the conversation and that's what it comes down to you gave this a nine out of ten but it has performance problems like did you read the review i spent several hundred words yeah. talking about how it ran on this on my specific rig or my specific platform that are there are problems there and so that's for me, that's the bigger problem is the fact that we all look at the number. We look at, like you said, the sexy marketing, the five out of five, mm -hmm. 10 out of 10, nine out of 10. And that's it. That's the game. That is the conversation about the game is um, 20 letters on a, or yeah, 20 numbers on a splash image. That's the entire conversation for Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And there have been situations where you get that letter from the developer saying day one patch will fix this stuff. And it does. And then the reviewers or the, the general public has a much different experience from us. And they're like, everything's great for me. Don't know what y'all were talking about. It's like, well, if you listen to the full review, you would have heard us say that we had a version of the game that, uh, you know, was less optimized or whatever. So that has happened in the past before. So it's always a it's, it's always a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. In that moment, you are happy that the developer is letting you play the game early at all so that you could review it and talk about it beforehand um, because uh, the developer was like, hey, we know it's kind of framey. We know you're dealing with performance issues. The day one patch should fix stuff, but we thought you might like to play it anyway. And in that case, it's like, you know, we've seen people in our comments be like, well, I think they should take their time with the review then. And it's like, well, that's not how media works. Like <laughs> yeah, the entire system has some issues all right you know everybody out, they're doing their best <laughs> yeah everybody needs to be first to it you know or else what's the point if i'm reviewing this game two and a half months later nobody's gonna watch or listen to that review so there's there's always like everybody's trying to be first to it on all sides of it so uh that does create some problems as well but yeah i think just again Having that caveat out there, having those asterisks, letting the users and reviewers know, or letting the users, the reviewers, the listeners, the viewers, everybody know, hey, there are issues. Here's what our version had. You may or may not, your mileage may vary sort of thing. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I always encourage folks, if, if you're on the fence about a game or if you're unsure about certain things, like find a group of people that you know align with your tastes in a lot of ways and play on similar platforms and just ping them. Like Twitter is a great way to, there's been a lot of people saying, Hey, I'm playing on Xbox or I'm playing on PlayStation. Here is my experience with this game. Here's how it's running for me. And you can have that, that conversation. And then from there kind of decide whether or not this is something you want to invest in. Cause I understand if you paid 70 bucks for a game, you don't want it to be just a, an okay experience, a good enough experience yeah. as, as games get more and more expensive. Um, that's, that's, this impasse that developers and publishers are coming to where if you're asking players to spend more, you need from their perspective, you need to ensure a, a higher level of, of quality across the board. And um, yeah, that's this, this totally agree. We're coming to a head. There's all, mm -hmm. all this money 
that needs to go both ways. Money needs to come in, and then at a certain point, money needs to come out. And when it's been years, at a certain point, somebody says, all right, well, guess what? We need that money. We need that money coming in right now. Yeah. Otherwise, this game we're working on is not going to ship. Otherwise, this studio that we're working with is going to be shut down. Like, So again, not defending EA in this case because they have lots of money and uh, they're they're probably doing just 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 fine, but it's it is a a complicated situation and one that deserves a longer conversation than hey this is this drops to thirty five frames per second so this is a bad game. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm gonna give a quick shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out. If you are new, drop a little subscribe as well. I got some super chats that I want to touch on here. Um, all right, we got. Nick W, who asks, what setting do you think we need more of? I would like to see more steampunk and Western setting games. All right, what's, what's the Andy setting? What, you're, you're out there and you're like, man, why isn't there a game set here? Man, that's a good question. That is a um, really good question. Uh, prehistoric dinosaurs. Yeah, take I me mean, back. Un- until we saw that, uh, you know, until Adam Driver came out with that movie that, like, nobody watched the uh, 65 movie, 65 million years ago movie or whatever. Uh, I had been asking nonstop, why does Jurassic Park have the ultimate IP to just only make, be the only uh, studio that makes dinosaur movies? Where, why are there no more dinosaur movies? Do they have, like, do they have the licensing to dinosaurs? What the hell's <laughs> going on? So, like, aside from Ark, I just wish we had more like you know i wish we had a dino crisis sort of reboot i wish we had more games in that genre yeah that's post jurassic park when we lived in the post jurassic park world oh there was no shortage of dinosaur video games Mm -hmm. um super nintendo era into playstation one and nintendo 64 we just it was a stream we had joe and mac we had turok we had all of these games that were the dinosaur themed dino crisis another fantastic example and then at a certain point everyone was like you know what nah dinosaurs aren't cool anymore we're not we're not touching dinosaurs we lost our way yeah that's where we all we went down the (laughs) the dark timeline at that period that juncture of our of society they made the wrong call Mm -hmm. and we've been suffering the consequences for decades just an open world i mean just make horizon but not mechanized dinosaurs just make it all just real dinosaurs super in i know this is an xbox show so i'm not going to sit here and dunk on horizon but that was that was my turnoff what i what that game would have been absolute fire for me if it was just actual dinosaurs the fact that you had to you know put your spin on it turn them into robots no all right transformers beast wars already exists nice try horizon you should have just gave me dinosaurs and i don't want no damn feathers on my dinos okay i know that's like scientifically accurate but i just hate when like the fact like when scientists were like no actually they had feathers i'm like i don't want to know all right i I don't don't care jurassic park has already set the scientific precedent for (laughs) what a dinosaur looks like steven spielberg has the is the end all be all okay the amount of money and science and he did decades of research before he came to the the visual representation of the t-rex okay that is just the fact all right there's no no putting the the worm back in that jar that is just what t-rexes are moving forward and that's why i'm stoked for exoprimal baby oh i I mean that beta for exoprimal was a like shockingly fun yeah it's chaos it's an absolute mess in terms of just when you're looking at the game there's it's just an it's like vampire survivors where it's just 
color and explosions and and chaos but it, input uh, overload yeah yeah it's it's beautiful it's just it's yeah like you said sensory overload it's beautiful i had a great time with it though i was uh that one that one definitely caught me off guard i was not expecting to have as much fun as i did with that video game um and i know that they have more modes planned but i mean shout out capcom you know capcom, they continue to just kill it. they're doing Everything it they touch right now mm. except for our reverse resident evil our reverse Oh, I didn't try it. I mean, I just feel like every release there's a new multiplayer game that I swear hasn't come out yet, even though people tell me they've played it. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, Nick W has super chatted and says, if you review a game, you should always include the performance issues. Just tell me the truth. I want to know how it runs. I think that's fair. Again. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know if anybody has ever reviewed, like, I haven't seen any reviews for Jedi Survivor that haven't really highlighted the performance issues. I feel like it's very, very out there. But when you scroll all the way down to the website and you just want to see that number, that's all a lot of people see. Um, and again, do we do we make the number nine, uh, the, the nine out of ten, do we make that out of a sentence that says this game doesn't run well? Like, do we have the letters in the numbers <laughs> so people can see that better, you know? Um I feel like every I feel like reviewers are truthful with their experience. Like, I don't think it's an issue with people being disingenuous in any way. But um, that the number is kind of the end all be all for a lot of viewers, you know? Yeah. Again, I haven't read every review, but the, the people that I trust and go to, they have talked about the performance issues. And maybe that's maybe for some people it wasn't. I don't know. Everyone's experience is going to be different. And that's why it's hard for me to say that, oh, we need some sort of objective scale for performance rating because some people don't care or it doesn't impact yeah. their experience. And from a lot of us in the hardcore space, brother, I'm dropping five frames. Oh, I'm feeling it, son. Yeah. How dare you? Mm -hmm. And for some, and some people, people can withstand more easier stuff. Like some yeah. people are able to withstand dropping down at 32 frames and not noticing a damn thing. And and I envy you all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish I was you to be able to experience a game at 30 frames and be totally happy with it, you know? Yeah, Dead by Daylight does very well on Nintendo Switch. I've played Dead by Daylight on PC and console and Nintendo Switch. I don't know how anyone plays Dead by Daylight on Nintendo Switch. It looks unbelievably bad and plays unbelievably bad compared to every other version. But that being said, there's a lot of people that just, that's it. That's what they know. They, they're having a grand old time just playing it. And so it's hard to say that for them that they shouldn't be having a good time because it's better somewhere else. I don't know. Um, all right. Assassin says it should be, in my opinion, it should be mandatory that publishers give review copies for their games to all outlets. So reviewers don't have a fear of being blacklisted. Um, that's a big ask considering there's like at this, in this age, thousands and thousands of outlets. So I agree. I agree in a sense that it's cool when more voices have a chance to get their hands on the game and share more thoughts about it. I think that's great. But you're also asking a publisher or a developer to give millions of dollars away for review codes. And that's that's a big ask. So that's a lot of work for PR people. Uh, <laughs> that's a lot, a lot even, of emails, it's even more headaches to kind of like wrangle, you know. Um, all right. Assassin. One more has says my fellow podcast panel member thinks gamers will completely disregard Armored Core. Since you guys are industry experts, ooh, I'm glad you think of me as such. Do you think he's right? 
We're going to talk more about Armored Core. I don't want to jump in just quite yet, but we are going to talk about Armored Core, what it means, how it's going to hit, all that juicy stuff. But first, I want to talk about the game. If you're watching the video version, it's on the screen. Um, the Last Case of ben Benedict Fox, which, which hit Xbox Game Pass this week. I'm a big fan of Metroidvanias. I'm a big fan of Lovecraftian, weird, otherworldly horror. It was a, a combination of that of those two elements. We've seen it featured in a lot of Xbox showcases. It looked like a rad indie Metroidvania. Andy, have you played this game at all? I have not. No, I know that a lot of people at work are kind of looking forward to this and trying to get their hands on it. Uh, I didn't even know it had come out yet. Um, so I'm interested to hear more about it because I love a good Metroidvania as well. Yeah, look, we've had excellent, absolutely stellar recent examples. Bloodstained, incredible, Ori, both Ori's, Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. And this, from an art style perspective, seemed to pull a lot of inspiration from Ori. So I was looking at this and I was like, yes, a Lovecraftian horror Metroidvania that pulls some in for inspiration from Ori. This looks 100% like my jam. We didn't really get review codes leading up to launch for it. Um, so it just kind of dropped in Game Pass. There wasn't a ton of fanfare. I dove into it because I was excited about the game. Um, we were just talking about performance problems. Man. I'm playing this on Xbox Series X, the default mode. So there is a quality and performance mode. I have to caveat that. I was playing in quality mode for a, for a bulk of it because I didn't know there was a secondary mode between the two. But the quality mode runs in 60 FPS. But there are hitches and drops to like five frames where the game literally Whoa. chugs. And if you're and when you're playing a platform, a 2D side scrolling platformer, it got to the point where that's making it so I can't make jumps like it was negatively impacting my ability to play the game so i swapped it to performance mode played a performance mode for a little bit when somebody on twitter pointed that out and it is a little bit better it is more consistent but there are still some noticeable hitches when you get to doors because it's a very segmented metroidvania mm -hmm. where you go through a lot of doorways and passages and teleporters and every time you get close to one you feel like the next section load in and it like hitches and stops for a second um that being said the art style is absolutely immaculate. It's a really great setting, a very great sense of style and tone that I really appreciate. It's it, it incorporates detective elements, so there's some puzzles and some mystery to solve as you go through. So it's got your kind of quintessential Metroidvania action platforming, but then you go to this hub world and you try to solve puzzles and piece together what happened to your dad and your family who were part of this cult. And and so I'm not far. I'm probably like three-ish hours in, but I'm liking it. Uh, there's a tattoo upgrade system that rules. So every time you get a new skill or ability, it's literally tattooed on your arms. And as you oh. progress and get new stats, you're just you're just you're growing this sleeve of stats, and you like feed this evil, and your eyes get darker, and you embrace more of the otherworldly horror. I assume is what they're building towards with this this ink. You're being inked by the ink of I. I don't know. Cthulhu. Yeah, so something heady like that. Something heady like that, bro. Um, tattoos are evil. I don't know if that's the messaging they're trying to get across, but uh, <laughs> it is. What a would cool you say? What, what would you say is like the strongest part of this video game? I would say easily the visual style. Okay. The, the environments are incredible. The color balance, which is that's a big thing for me. Uh, the the way that colors come together and present a visual image on the screen, absolutely immaculate in this. There's a great sense of of tone that is very unique. There isn't really a game that looks like it. When you when you see some of these environments, when you see some of the set pieces, you get this feeling of, wow, I've never seen this in a video game before. And that's that's hard to do in this day and age. So 
from a visual standpoint, it's incredible. Everything else is okay, which has been my big, like the, the combat's okay. The platforming is okay. And that's kind of been, you know, in this day and age where there's so much competition in the space, Hollow Knight, Silk Song's coming this year, baby. You gotta, you gotta bring it. You gotta bring it when it comes to that combat. And Last Case of Benedict Fox, unfortunately, just has okay combat. You think it's coming this year, huh? I don't know. I want to. I want to <laughs> believe, dude. I want it's. I'll, I'll lie to myself do. until you know. Until December twenty, December thirtieth is the last day that I'm willing to say. You know what? Maybe it's not coming in twenty twenty three. But until today. then, I'm holding out hope. Yeah, I mean, we saw that graphic of Xbox saying these games will be out in the next year. So, uh, so far, their batting average great. on that is pretty <laughs> low. Right? <laughs> This is an Xbox show. I love me some Xbox, but yeah, that batting average, it ain't it ain't impressive. You know, that that happens sometimes. I mean, yeah, this is a game that I will likely not try out, especially knowing that the visual style is kind of the thing it has going for it the most. Mm-hmm. Um like I, I saw in some of those screenshots or some of the video that, that you were just showing right now. Yeah, that detective mode, going to first person and looking at that baby stroller, the carriage. What's happening there? Are you, like, focusing on certain parts of a scene in first person and you're trying to decipher or figure out some sort of mystery? What's going on there? So, yeah, the way the story progresses is you have a house. You have this, your family home you come back to after what seems like years away. Uh, Your father's died. Your father is dead in the basement and you go downstairs and you have the ability to connect with the memories of deceased people and go into their minds and Mm. relive these what seems like traumatic experiences. It does touch on some heavier subject matter. So I think there is a trigger warning at the front of the game that touches on some some darker stuff. So that's something worth considering. And you can get some spoilers at the start to see what those trigger warnings are. But it does touch on some trauma and some some negative experiences for your family members. And you growing up in basically a cult. You growing up, leaving the cult, and coming back to your family who's been in this cult all this time. So in the main house, there are cabinets with symbols that you need to find clues for to unlock there's a there's moments where you have to do math you have to you find these symbols oh, that represent that represent certain numbers and you have to combine them together to solve math equations and then there's hidden messages on the walls where you have to actually either take a picture of it or remember it to go back to another area in the game and decipher this puzzle you can toggle those settings. So if you don't want to think, you can just turn that to low and it'll automatically remember things. So once you find it, you just go to the next thing, hit A, it'll automatically solve the puzzle. So you don't have to play it that way, but the default mode requires some big brain energy. You got to think. And you know, that's, as someone who loves a good Metroidvania, I'm usually not thinking when I'm playing. I'm, I mean, I'm, playing. I'm, I'm trying to double jump and dash and I'm trying to grapple and parry and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, as soon as you brought up math, uh, I, I took a bit of a nap. I just woke up right now. It's so. it's that's gonna be a turnoff when you see when you see a wall of numbers plus minus divide equals. You're like, <laughs> that's not why I'm here, dude. Yeah. I want to I want to look that's, cool. I want to move fast. I want to kill stuff. That should be the trigger warning, honestly. Like <laughs> math. add that into the trigger warnings of like there is math. So Andy Cortez, you might want to watch out for this one. Have PTSD going back to me dropping college algebra three times. Uh, yeah. So yeah. If you're looking to play it, uh, just know that. Just know that it will demand a little bit of you outside of of gameplay. Mm. And so it has some interesting ideas. The narrative is compelling in a lot of ways because it is 
one of those sequences. If you watched The Watchmen on HBO. Or, I loved it. Oh, just absolutely incredible where it feeds you little pieces. So you jump in. You don't really know what's going on in this world. You don't really know who these characters are, what's going on. And as you progress, you get pieces and pieces that start to build a picture. And I hope that it culminates into a, a grand reveal of some kind at the very end that's satisfying. So that being said, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it because I don't really like how it feels all that much. And so for me, a Metroidvania really needs to feel great. Yeah. And so for me, I don't really come to a Metroidvania for the narrative beats, but. Understandable. That's that. All right. Assassin brought this up, but we, we need to talk about Armored Core 6. Fires of Rubicon, which got a new trailer this week. And that trailer was, mm, oh, it was good. It was a good trailer. And we also got the release date. So Armored Core 6 is coming on August 25th, 2023. Andy, how are you feeling about Armored Core 6? Are you an Armored Core fan? We, we've talked about From Software. We're going to be talking more about From Software. But do you have any association with the Armored Core franchise? Yes, and in a way that I barely remember any of. As a kid who... Watched a lot of like Gundam Wing and Outlaw Star and uh, Big O on Toonami. I just yeah. needed my I needed my mech fix, and I just didn't know where to get it. And it wasn't until I rented Armored Core back in the day, and I didn't know what it was, and I barely have any memory of it. But I rented the absolute hell out of a lot of different Armored Core video games because I just didn't know where to like what games could provide me this satisfaction of getting to a robot shooting a bunch of cool like missiles and seeing the missile trails and sliding all over the place and being extremely agile um armored core is the from software that i don't really know right like i didn't really start to fully understand from software until several years ago so that era of them totally unfamiliar with aside from me playing them and kind of remembering those experiences. But I am very, uh, I'm extremely excited to get into it because I know that uh, the director on it was the same director from Sekiro. And I'm excited to see how these worlds kind of mesh with one another without being a full From Software Soulsborne type video game. They have been very upfront telling audiences this is not a Souls game. Right. You know, right now, you know us from Souls games. That is our bread and butter. Those are our biggest games. That is why we've grown into this, this worldwide brand is because people love the Souls games. Like you said, Armored Core predates the Souls formula by a long time. From Software has been around for a while, which I don't think a lot of people really understand is that From Software has been making video games for decades. I want to say even the late 80s. I might be, might be wrong there, but definitely early 90s. Um, they've been making video games for a very long time. Armored Core was one of my first From Software games. I remember, much like you, renting Armored Core 1 yeah. and delivering this experience unlike anything else. And we talk about Dark Souls games being difficult. Armored Core had a system in place where you had a mech, you progressed through missions, and if your mech had got damaged you had to pay to repair it yeah and if you didn't have the money to repair it guess what you don't get to continue the game you get you have to start over from the beginning and it was brutal and i did i never beat it but i remember renting it over and over and trying trying new mechs trying new builds using the spider legs versus the tank wheel legs and there was so much 
creativity and experimentation that was represented through player agency in a way that I'd never seen in a game before. And as, as a kid, I didn't really understand that, I think, in and how those fundamental principles have translated to everything that from software has done even even the souls games that that idea that you can fundamentally change an rpg or a video game by letting someone change the way that they play it and changing the way that you you level up you have weapons you have different abilities you have different mobility in armored core and that's what is that's why so many people love that it's i would say a smaller franchise in the u.s but in japan in particular it's massive and as we've seen by the social analytics of Armored Core 6, uh, it's tracking huge. It's the, their tweet yesterday at like 20,000 likes in a very short period of time. So to Assassin's question earlier, I think there is going to be an audience for it. I just don't know that it's going to be the audience of Elden Ring. You're coming right off the back of Elden Ring. To ask Armored Core 6 to be on that level is, that's too much. It's not going to hit that. I, I Yeah, completely agree. I think that it, it will likely sell around the same amount that a Sekiro sold. Um, I don't see it being this worldwide phenomenon, but I think it's still going to perform really well from, from, from software. And I think that they know and have expectations of what it should sell. Like they know that this isn't a hardcore souls born title, a new entry. If it's dark souls four, this is a different story. If it's bloodborne two, this is a different story, I think. Um, but the idea that they are bringing back this, long since dead franchise that has been gone for a long time what was it 2012 2011 i forget yeah, what the, when i forget Armored when Core Armored 5, Core 5 was, that was, was xbox 360 so yeah put that in context so it's been a long time since their last uh, iteration and i what really makes me happy about it is that it really feels like when we when we think about big actors in hollywood and they go like oh i'll do like two for them and one for me this feels yeah. like one for FromSoft. This is like, we don't need, like, we really want to make this title because we know it's going to, we know of ways to make this uh, IP really kick ass. Like, it's going to, uh, I think the art direction looks phenomenal. Um, every sort of screenshot in that trailer looks so gorgeous. And it mm -hmm. has that typical From Software art direction that even though they don't have the cutting edge ray tracing, all this stuff, it's like, their art direction still really kind of dominates a lot of other games in the space. Um, I love that this is them kind of messing around with an IP and a genre that isn't typical for them in the last you know decade or so. Um, and I think that's going to really play in their favor because players have less expectations knowing that this better deliver. I mean, this is this better deliver if it's Dark Souls Four or Bloodborne Two. Yeah, it doesn't have those same expectations. It's a much different genre, and I think that they have like, I think it's only positives from here on out for From Software for uh, Armored Core Six. Absolutely, the the trailers that we have seen have showcased the fact that Armored Core is not a Souls like, but it's still is a From Software game. And like you touch on with the scope of the environments, the moment where you have the giant mech sandworm emerge from the ground that gives you that the, the soul's boss encounter energy. There's a lot of stuff that shows that From Software is using what they've learned from Souls games to mm -hmm. go back to Armored Core and, and say, all right, how do we revisit this? How do we bring this back? And like you said, it's, it's awesome to see From Software revisit franchises. Sekiro was born from the fact that they were going back to Tenchu 
And they were looking at Tenshu and saying, all right, how do we take what we learned from Dark Souls and, and reinvent Tenshu? And it just became its own entity. It became this own its own thing. And maybe they're trying to do something similar with Armored Core and said, Armored Core is Armored Core. There's the, like, we need to keep that that moniker. We need to keep that that energy for it. And we need to just bring it back. So yeah, it is awesome to see that From Software isn't saying, all right, we just... We're only going to do Souls games. That's what we're known for now. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to do Souls games until the end of time because that's what people want. And that's what they could do. And I'm sure they would be successful as hell just doing that because so far we have no reason to question their formula. They've been just getting better with every single release. Every single time they put out a new game, it somehow elevates ideas, elevates the gameplay mechanics, elevates the world design. The medium. And, and I keep And I keep saying, how? How on earth? Like nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, not many developers in the history of video game development have been able to push forward with every single release in the same way. And so I look at Armored Core and even though I say I'm not much of a Met guy anymore, like you, big Toonami fan back in the day, getting some mm -hmm. Gundam on, let's do it. In this day and age, I'm not the biggest Mech fan. I'm not usually the biggest fan of games with robots. I was just complaining about Horizon having robots like I would much rather that you know if Armored Core is fighting giant aliens oh psh, let's go baby <laughs> sign me right up so I will play it I am very excited because I I trust from software to deliver something really cool and special and it's just been a long ass time since we've had an Armored Core game yeah um I yeah again I think that they only can win from here and I love the idea that the side of development that they have in from software internally that's like again the secular team now the armored core team i love the idea that in the future i hope that that team can just kind of make stuff that is not what we know from software to be i i, I would love for that team to continue to work on games that are a little bit outside of the norm from what you'd expect from that developer uh, because it it just keeps things a lot more fresh, right? And like we know that it's still going to have the soul, you know, uh, you know, not to be you know too literal there, but we know it still has the soul there of what a from software game should be, and it still has kind of that DNA, but it's not going to be a medieval fantasy, dark fantasy sort of genre or title. Um, I just I would love for that developer, that side of development, to keep on making games in with weird sort of IP, with IP that we haven't seen in a long time. Let's awaken some old stuff. Like, give From Software yeah. your IP and let them just go to town on it. Otagi needs to come back. Andy, have you ever played Otagi? One or two? I haven't seen that word or heard that word said in so long. <laughs> Dude, bring it. Right, like, I look at Sekiro, I look at Elden Ring, and I... I I went back and played the first two very recently when they got added to backwards compatibility for Xbox right. year year or two ago. Went back and there were so many great ideas and the, the Japanese the emphasis on Japanese folklore in an action game. At that time, we hadn't seen anything like it, and I want to see that idea come to a modern landscape where we can have that world blown up in in a scale like Elden Ring, and that to me would be such an amazing experience. And in some ways, Sekiro delivered a lot of that. But that being said, bring back more weird IP. I love the idea of somebody from FromSoft just being stoked about Armored Core and saying, all right, you guys have been having fun with your Dark Souls, your Bloodborne, but we got to go back to our roots, baby. We got to go back to where it all began, and we need to make Armored Core a premier franchise for us again. So I, I love that, and I want to see more teams do that as opposed to 
Assassin's Creed 47. Like, you can and, do... And, and, and how do we sort of, you know, involve what players know? Like, so we know there's going to be a lot of hardcore Soulsborne fans approaching this franchise, hoping that they get some familiarity, some of that Miyazaki flavor in here. Yeah, just, just and, a sprinkle of it. Yeah, and I know that that's going to happen with these massive, grandiose boss fights, with the music popping off, and it's just like, it's an assault on the senses. <laughs> like, and, and that's what I'm hoping to get from Armored Core. Like, I, I know, uh, I think some parts in the trailer, you could see the commitment of a big sort of laser sword beam attack where you can't just cancel out of that attack. That's the sort of souls mechanics and combat that we know and love. And so we know that like, just based on that uh, combat, there's going to be like, it, it feels like it's 20% of the way there. Aside from the fact that you're dashing all over the place, like Sekido, you have that movement and fluidity, or maybe you just get like a, a heavy ass mech and you are not so mobile. Maybe you are fat rolling all over the place, but I, I just love that there's still going to be some of those things that we are, are sort of familiar with when we think of what a FromSoft game looks like and feels like. I'm not expecting like 50% of a Soulsborne game, but I'm just hoping to get enough in there that I am like kind of, I recognize and go, oh man, this is, this is why I wanted to play this game that, again, I haven't cared about in so long because I, I sure as hell didn't play Armored Core 2 through 5. Like, I really <laughs> just think it was one that I played, you know? I played one, two, and three, and then I took a long, long time off from Armored Core. So it's been a while since I yeah. played. I mean, it's really like Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan or somebody just like, oh, let me mess with this IP. Let's play this. And it's like, well, I had no interest in that, but now I do. And that's how Armored Core is for me right now. Let's go. I trust From Software. I'm excited to dive into that. And that's just yet another release another big release for 2023 which just continues to be it's wild outrageous you know performance issues aside it's just been a stacked year and continues to be a stacked year and we haven't even had the the june showcases where we're going to see some of the holiday stuff so i don't know i don't know how the rest of this year is going to play out but man from software armored core 6 day one for me and speaking of from software we touched on this briefly you finished dark souls 3 you did. Mm -hmm. You wrapped Dark Souls 3. We're done. You haven't played all of the From Software games. But my first question is, I'm very curious because you've, you've played Elden Ring. You beat Elden Ring first, and then you went back to Dark Souls 3. So how did Dark Souls 3 hit for you after experiencing what, some, what many people consider to be From Software's greatest achievement with Elden Ring? No drum button. Uh, <laughs> no, no jump. Yeah. No jump in, and then item pickup and confirm being swapped with Y and A was kind of that kind of just threw me off. Um, but obviously, like a lot of the DNA is there. I was surprised at how much of the DNA was in Elden Ring. I was surprised to see uh, what a lot of gamers call lazy, but I just call efficient and smart development of let's get that sort of whatever that prototype. Um, villain that we're looking at let's bring a version of that into elden ring like there is definitely a lot of that in elden ring that i was kind of surprised to see but it's just top to bottom of a phenomenal experience i wasn't feeling too hot on dark souls 3 maybe a third of the way through i think it starts off super strong and i think um when i play dark souls games and i stream them it really is like twitch tap plays dark souls um because they just tell me what to do uh, cause I don't have a whole lot of time to stream and I don't want to spend time 
running around lost for you know an hour and a half or two hours so i use my my, my twitch chat just as like andy go here go here <laughs> but don't tell him too much though chad you know don't backseat um because again if i was a full-time streamer streaming eight hours a day i'd probably prefer that method but i like just you know take me to the boss fight let me let me deal let me struggle a little bit um i was kind of struggling with it uh, early on when i'm going to two swamps back to back and then at the end of one i'm getting a very kind of lame boss fight i'm just like oh man this just is not hitting for me right now the gimmicky boss fight's never my favorite they, yeah, least, they always like, do them but it at least reward me at the end of that awful experience of going through a, a swamp with like a really fun fast action boss fight and it said you hit me with a gimmick you want, and it's just kind of lame. And and I was, like, not feeling great about it. And I feel like Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 1 are on opposite ends of the spectrum, where Dark Souls 3 ends incredibly strong, and I feel like Dark Souls 1 kind of tapers off. Um, but, yeah, Dark Souls 1 was always near the top of my FromSoft games because I think the the level design still has not been matched by any game I've ever experienced. Um, the constant walking around and going, like, oh, I'm here now. How the hell am I here now? I just was at that bonfire over there. I saw that place three days ago. Now I'm suddenly overlooking it. How did they manage to do any of this? So I think the interconnectedness of all of Dark Souls 1 is what really, really blows me away. Mm-hmm. But the boss fights in Dark Souls 3, the the drama, the, um, the, the boss mechanics and design of them, just top tier. I mean, incredible stuff. Yeah, Dark Souls 3, I think, really what makes it shine are those moments. Not every boss, but most of the bosses in Dark Souls 3 are the pinnacle of FromSoft boss design. So many great mechanics and moments when you find weird stuff like Osiris down in the the optional area and you have that fight and it's talking to the weird invisible baby in its arms and (laughs) you just have these memorable moments and these memorable characters and interactions that stick with you forever. And they just, they continue to escalate. So you have a boss that's kicking your ass and it's got, it it seems fast. It seems impossibly fast. And Bloodborne, you have, you are faster. Uh, Dark Souls, you're a little bit slower. So when you have this intimidating, fast boss, it it feels way more intimidating than in Bloodborne where you, you, you're pretty agile for the most part. So that's what kind of adds a lot of weight and stress and tension to a lot of the fights in Dark Souls 3. Uh, the Nameless King, my God, that is such a moment. That is such an epic encounter. That is such one of the most iconic moments in any video game. Just the, the fog, the riding in on the dragon, having having the multiple forms and just sweating through that fight because chances are the first time you go there, you're not ready for that fight. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know what it's going to be. And you walk into that door and you just get slapped around and you're, and you're, <laughs> you're taken aback. And then a few more tries in, you're still getting smacked around. And then you have that moment where everything clicks and you come together and you have that just triumphant moment of taking down this, this seemingly impossible boss encounter. And Dark Souls 3 is that over and over and over and over. And it's, oh man, the music in that, like you said, it's just an, it's an auditory assault. The choir is just, there's just so much energy to every single scene in that game. Um, I'm at the I'm at the final boss fight and I'm talking to my Twitch chat and I'm like, you know, nothing beats Gwyn's theme in Dark Souls one. And then the second phase happens in that final Lord, uh, a soul of cinder fight. And uh, and I was like, oh, my God, no way. Like, oh, incredible, incredible. Uh, stuff. 
beautiful. So you haven't played them all, but where are these ranking for you right now? Uh, Dark Souls 2 is the only is the one I have not played. Um, okay, so Dark Souls been, 2 is the only one. I have been waiting for a long time for the, uh, a mod to be finished. It probably won't ever be finished at this point, but it's there's been a mod that's been kind of talked about on Twitter by this uh, modder who was doing a full visual change to all of it, and it looks insanely improved, uh, and it looks gorgeous. So I've been like, I'll play Dark Souls 2 when that happens. Who knows when that'll be done? Maybe never. Uh, but I've played all of them. Uh, the top, I cannot un, I cannot break the tie of Elden Ring and Bloodborne as number one. I think that like, yeah, they all amaze me for different reasons. Um, and Elden Ring's just exploration and expansiveness and elevation in where you can explore, and the fact that it just n never ended, and I never wanted it to end. And when it did, I was really bummed out. Um, like nothing can change. Nothing can change the feelings that I had getting that early code and telling everybody at work, "All right, take me off all the shows. I'm playing Elden Ring." Uh, yeah, I'm heads down. Don't don't even hit me up. And like that was such a place in time of we're still like working from home, and I'm just like I'd look at the timer like I've been playing for eight hours i cannot like and i just want to keep on going so like the 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 mystery and discovering things in real time with other people on twitter other people who had early codes i just like there was such it was such a special moment right so that's tied with number one for bloodborne with me uh because i think bloodborne's story is just so badass and everything that happens in that world and the boss fights are also great yeah. and the fact that it went to 30 frames per second is an absolute travesty but it just it, it it just like the idea that it starts off as one thing as you are here. I, I feel like the lore and the story is a lot more easier to understand as well. Yes. As yeah. somebody who doesn't necessarily uh, watch lore videos like I do obsessively. But I think on its surface, it's a lot more like. Commercialized in its story where it feels like the one the movie that everybody goes to see where it's like, hey, you're here in this town. Everybody's been diseased and they are sick and you need to find the cure for them because they're turning into monsters. Great. That's like a perfect kind of starting off place. I feel like the Dark Souls stories are definitely a lot more obtuse and tougher to understand on a surface level. Uh, the stories requires... of Dark Souls are like, what is time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's definitely a lot like deeper and uh, that's where the lore videos really help me out. And then I appreciate them a lot more, obviously, but on its surface level, definitely a little bit tougher to get into. But uh, those are tied one and two for me. And I think Dark Souls three did overtake Dark Souls one for me um, because of that latter half, the boss fights, the music, the art direction, everything incredible. Um, Dark Souls one would be next after Dark Souls three level design still you know incomparable amazing just the smartest shit you've ever seen from level designers and game designers and then i'd put sekiro even though i like sekiro's combat probably most out of all of them but uh sekiro just didn't quite hit with me like the other ones did i played sekiro for the thrill of the fight and i played the dark souls and bloodborne and elden ring games for the thrill of everything else you know yeah that's that's a beautiful way to put it sekiro and then i'd put demon souls at, at the bottom um a lot of gimmicky fights in Demon Souls, but god dang, Blue Point just really popped off that port. 
Oh yeah. Or with that remake. Yeah. The remake looks stunning, and that's I, it's it's wild that it's still like the best looking game. It's yeah. like it makes no sense to me how it's still like you fire up Demon Souls, you're like, how is this still better than anything I've seen since 2020? It's wild. They did a stellar job. I played Demon Souls on PS3, and that was my first time playing a, a what we know as the Souls formula. And I didn't really get it. I remember bouncing off that pretty quick. I was it was it's very obtuse, it's very confusing. Yeah. I didn't really get it. And then when Dark Souls came, that was the first one that really clicked for me. Was was Dark the original Dark Souls? Because I was like, oh, this is by the guys who Demon Souls. It seems like it's the same game, but I'll, sure, I'll try it again. I liked the combat. I liked the world. I just didn't really get it. And again, Dark Souls fundamentally requires more. I agree with you that Bloodborne is more cohesive in its storytelling. Still a little bit cryptic. Still a little bit strange. But you know more or less what you're doing, why you're doing it. In mm -hmm. Dark Souls, you were doing things. Because of the discovery, you are going places because you want to see what's there, not because you're being told or you know why you're there. And that's, like you said, the lore videos piece everything together and you have to, you don't have to, but there is a greater sense of reward when you really go down the rabbit hole and you understand this character was here for this reason. And actually these two locations, these are the same location happening in different points in time. And the events of this location have impacted this boss and this moment in this way. And then you just have those mind-blowing moments where everything comes together and you realize the weight of this interaction. Where if you're playing it from a casual perspective, you go to a boss and you look at this boss and say, I don't know who you are. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm going to kick your ass and move on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's still thrill in that. There's still excitement in that because the bosses are so good. But without the background, without reading the item descriptions, you don't know who the hell these figures are. And I think Bloodborne does a better job, and Sekiro as well, of telling a story that's easy to digest. And um, yeah, Elden Ring. And that's what makes the medium special, because you yeah. can't do that anywhere else, I don't think. No, you couldn't have a movie that was, plays out like Dark Souls, where you'd have to yeah. freeze frame. There's going to be an object in the background or some text in the background, and if you freeze frame there and read it that gives you the context for the scene <laughs> no that ain't a good movie dog yeah but you can invest in these things in a great on a deeper level and that's why so many people love from software and souls games because the more you put into it the more you get out of it which is which is amazing and it's such a rare thing that, like you said can only happen in a video game um i've done my ranking before but i i'll go Elden Ring number one, because like you said, I remember being in that group with people texting or DMing you and other folks like, yo, what you you get here? Are you getting are you getting smacked? I can't get past this guy. What what do you do? What did, did you go here? And just having those conversations where there's no guides. There's no you can't go online right. and Google where do I go? You just figure it out. You get on your horse and you ride around till you figure it out. Or you get to a boss and you're like, should I be here? This guy seems way too strong. And you just hammer through it. And then somebody else says, Oh yeah, if you actually just went over here, it's way easier. I'm like, uh, oh, I suffered go. through 45 minutes of that beat down, but going down the lift to Shifra, like at least all of those big discovery moments. They're unbelievable. And like you said, it's one of the few times I've ever finished a game and felt sad. Just finished yeah. the game and felt like that I was so disappointed that it was over because you have those moments where you think you're done, you think you've seen everything, and then it opens up and it expands. Like you said, the the underground area and that there's a whole nother world below here. And then you get across this region, you see the slice of the map, and then the map zooms out. And then the map zooms out again. And you realize the scope of this world and of this game. And then you you go through and you do everything. You explore every nook and cranny. And then the credits roll after that final fight. And you're like, well, that's it. 
it's that's the end. There's no more. There's no more discovery. I've 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 seen it all, and it's yeah. It was the first time in a long time where I felt genuinely bummed about yeah. finishing a game. Surely there's a mini boss I missed somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and so you start New Game Plus, and you're going through, and there were things oddly enough that second time around that I didn't I didn't know were a thing, and that's kind of the beauty of Elden Ring is that it is a very dense game. But man, so good. Uh, and then Dark Souls Three. Um, for the reasons we talked about, the best boss design in a video game. Um, some of the best environment design. Again, that was really where I think From Software perfected its color balance and perfected locations that feel distinct. And you can, I can look at every region of Dark Souls Three, and I, I know what it's called. I know what it is. I know how it made me feel for the first time. Um, so Dark Souls Three, amazing, amazing in a lot of ways. Uh, and then actually Sekiro for me is probably number three because. Man, uh, again, boss fights, some of the best. That final boss fight, final boss fight, Sword Saint. Oh my, that was a boss fight that um, I st- physically had to get out of my chair to do. I couldn't, so I could not do that boss fight sitting down. And that's how you know a game has got you. You know that's a, a game is special when you cannot sit down and play it. You have to be standing up because that's the only way you can physically handle what's happening on the screen. What boss took you the longest of that, one, of, that, really? that, okay. that fight? Like, I know people struggled with some other fights, like the, the Great Ape and a few others, but mostly up until that point, I had died maybe a couple times on each of the bosses. But that fight, that's, I would say that's the hardest boss I've played in a video game. I can't think of a boss that's harder. I can't think of a boss that I was sweatier trying to get through. Uh, that final boss really uh, made me work for that W, dude, let me tell you. Demon of Hatred for me was the toughest one. Oh yeah, demon. Yeah, okay, yeah. Demon of Hatred is Demon of Hatred took like four hours for me. Um, Sword Saint took me twelve tries, and that was like an insanely fun one. And then I love, I just love how varied it is. When some people are popping in chat and go, "Oh, you should get through Demon of Hatred in maybe an hour, Andy," and it takes me forever because I just can't get it down. And there's some people being like, "Sword Saint's gonna take you hours, bro," and I beat it in twelve tries. And it's weird the difference in how different players kind of experience these. Like I was, I was just looking at like all of the toughest boss fights of Dark Souls Three ranked, and it's so weird to see these outlets have such different experiences from me. Where like, oh, I breezed through that guy. What? That guy's way low on the list. That guy was so hard. What the hell are you talking about? So like, it's insane just how different builds and different kind of playthroughs can make your experience wildly different. I remember my first playthrough of Elden Ring when I was trying to get into the capital. I forget the name, the the mounted guy on the golden horse. Oh, yeah. Uh, that fight. I Jerk. I apparently went there too early. M- dude, I remember messaging people. Uh, the Draconic Tree Sentinel. That's right. I remember messaging people and saying, what the hell is this fight, dude? This is br- this is brutal. This is gnarly. I'm getting and I'm so one stubborn. shot. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm so getting, stubborn. I need to be in the capital. This seems like the where I need to be. I need to get through there. So I, I put my head down and I just got clapped 20, 30 times probably because I'm getting one shot. Every move that this guy has is a one shot. So the time that I beat him, I didn't get hit. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's... you downloaded everything. You like, but for me, the story with me and boss fights is on the first or two, the first one or two tries, I am one shot away from beating the dude. And then I die and I go, I've learned my lesson long. I've, I've, I've had this happen to me so many times that I know what happens from here on out. 
is that, yeah, I got to the second or third phase on my first try, and I was one hit away from killing him, but I know that that means that I'm going to be here for another hour. Because I, because <laughs> like, just because I got close the first or second try doesn't mean that I'm going to do it again. I'm going to die in the first phase ten more times. I, like, it's unbelievable the way these fights can go. Yeah, Dr Draconic Tree Sentinel was such a jerk. Uh, Melania, obviously, very, very, very tough. And I just like, I'm so, I'm so stubborn that like, I'm, you know, Twitch chat is talking to me. I'm like, I, no, I'm not going to change my build. I'm gonna. No, this is her. my build. I spent the I'm last gonna, seventy hours on this build, and it's gonna work. Damn it! I'm not gonna go change to a bleed and frost build. I'm gonna stick with my gigantic, stupid, uh, <laughs> man sword, and I'm going to just try to heavy hit her all the time. And I'm gonna wait. I can give my mimic what? Like I, uh, Elden Ring is kind of weird for me because it, because I used the summon so much. And I don't do that normally in any other Souls games. It became a different play style for me completely. And I, I'd be interested, like, how would I play Elden Ring now without summons? Because I feel like that was just such a part of the play style for me that I, re I don't know how I'd go through it now without, without a summon. I haven't really experienced it without summons, which is weird because... Whenever I see a summon on the ground in any Souls game, I'm like, no, 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 I don't need help. Get away from me. No, but I, I feel like it was just so ingrained in the in the design that I felt okay using it in Elden Ring for whatever reason. Because I, I felt like, sure, there are obviously the, the videos of the absolute giga chads dominating boss fights, making it look stupid easy with no summons, no clothes on. But I feel like the, the design of Elden Ring was built around cooperation, whether it's yeah. actual co-op or whether it's summons, because the aggro that you pull from bosses is so unrelenting. If you have no one else pulling the aggro for those bosses, like Margit, the first time you fire Margit, he is just wailing on you nonstop, and you're, you're taken aback by how aggressive he is. And they know the habits of players, and they specifically bait you into dodging or jumping early, and all of every single boss in Elden Ring is a dick because they do their fake wind-up, and then they wait a second, wait for you to roll, and then they smack you. And it's just that game is basically taking everything that you, all the muscle memory you gain from previous, from software games says, nah, we know you. We know how you cheesed fights before. That's not going to fly anymore. So as you have soon to as you heal, as soon as you heal, we're coming after you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see that flask out. Guess, oh, guess uh. what? I have a leap. Every boss has a leap attack. Sorry. Snowbike Mike is in the chat. It says you got to trust the build. I did, and it clearly worked. Yeah. Uh, I have nothing to say to so I I I've played co I've played so much co-op with Snowbike Mike, and um, I feel like I should be given a Nobel Peace Prize for having to deal with him. Out of the <laughs> it's a nightmare. I love you, Mike. I, one of my best friends. Um, he loves Souls games, but he gets so salty. He's one of the saltiest dudes to play with. And we've we've co-opted Dark Souls 3. We've co-opted Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Elden Ring. There, there were so many bosses where he, he had that moment where he's like, I'm done. He was the host and he was the only one to die over and over and over again. And we just had to like encourage him like, bro, come on. We can, we can do it. We can yeah. power through. And he's yeah. like, dude, no, this is stupid. And he just gets so enraged. And then it gets to the point where like, all right, just run. Just run, <laughs> run around the boss. Let room. us do it. We'll pull all the aggro. And so <laughs> then eventually, yeah, we get through the bosses. But it's he's such a fun person to play with because of how just unreasonably angry he gets about 
playing these games. But despite that, he keeps playing them. Despite that you hear him say that he's going to uninstall the game, he, he continues. He, he powers through. There's just something about him. There's something about him. It's, it's yeah. You endure. You endure the pain mm -hmm. for the, the reward. It's a very much as a masochistic franchise for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then what? Uh, so we got Dark Souls three. We got Sekiro. Then I'm gonna do Dark Souls one. Then I'm gonna do Bloodborne. Then I'm gonna do Dark Souls or Demon Souls and Dark Souls two. Dark Souls two. You haven't played yet. It's the worst. It's the ugliest for sure. I would be curious to see what that mod looks like because I've talked about color balance a lot on this episode. It is such an ugly game in terms of like the zones. Like you walk into Lava Town, oh, it's red, baby. You walk into Sand Town, oh, it's green. And there's no subtlety to it. It's just <laughs> green as hell. And I've heard that the 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 rolling and the uh the parry timer or your your uh iframes timer is just like Having to level that up is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got lots I'm of stuff you got to invest that. in. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's still a Souls game. So even the worst Souls game is still better than most RPGs. So Dark yeah. Souls Two is still an excellent game, objectively. But when it come when you're comparing it to everything else, it's it's the worst. Yeah, it's it's the worst. Um. All right. So one thing I want to do for the show, we're, we're, we've talked a lot about From Software. We've talked a lot about video game development. I want to, oh, my show notes, in the, the, how, the, how the sausage is made. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the best video game developers. So I want to sit down with you and the chat and pick the five best or most important, however you feel about it, modern video game developers. Again, I don't necessarily want to do it in order of number one to five, but I just want to hash out the five top dogs in the video game development space right now so gut what's your gut telling you number one unquestionable top dog i mean we've been talking about this whole freaking show from software i'm with you no no questions asks i would even say that maybe maybe they're number one maybe they are the top dog i, know I would put them i would put them as number one yeah i mean just no no misses in the recent era um it's just been a dynasty that has just continued to kind of build this legend so yeah, easily number one. Number one. All right, now we—that was an easy one. That was we talking it up about it all show. That's easy. Mm -hmm. What else? Who else is in consideration for this? The best of the best in the current age. I'd go Insomniac. Insomniac. Okay, impressive I think pedigree. I think Insomniac has been putting out a lot of impressive stuff that works well at launch and is always like you know an eight or a nine out of ten. Um, I don't think that they are ever making the number one best game of all time type stuff, but the level of consistency and the speed at which these games are being made are, I think, are really impressive. That's that's the thing. They're very efficient. They're able to put out high quality games efficiently every couple of years. It doesn't take them eight years to put out a really high quality game. We've seen them do it with stuff like Sunset Overdrive, Spider-Man. They've been really, really consistent, and that's a very impressive team. It's been one that has been exciting to get the, get the investment and watch them evolve into this just dominating developer in the, in the industry. So, yeah, they're, they're very talented. I would say, and this one's kind of tough. I did some research because I know there are technically different teams, and they're technically a publisher, but Capcom, whether it's Unit 1 or Unit 2, yeah. Capcom right now is 
untouchable. That's their, a great choice. Their quality right now is unreal because they had a weird period of time where their games were fine. They were taking some risks, but they clearly weren't investing in the teams in the right way. And we got weird stuff like Dark Void and Bionic Commando. And, <laughs> you know, they weren't firing on all cylinders. But now right. I tr- I would trust them to go back to Bionic Commando right now. I would trust them to redo Dark Void right now because everything that they've gone back and revisited from s- super ghouls and ghosts to, to Resident Evil has been incredible. The f- Resident Evil 7. I know we were talking about... Is that too scary for you? You you talk about two I, being borderline. I feel like seven. I watched my coworker play seven, and it was uh yeah, it was a it was a bad time to experience. Luckily, I didn't have to play it. I think playing is a much different experience than watching a friend play it. Uh, but yeah, I still think like the level of quality is so freaking obvious. The level of talent is so right in your freaking face when it comes to um like visuals and sound and no understanding what needs to happen in a horror video game genre and so like i think the knock on them you could say like well they're doing a bunch of remakes but they're also making new resident evils too that are always review re- uh reviewing well anyway so like whether it's new or old they are still kicking ass you can put out bad remakes like yeah. it's happened before so like don't let's not act like that's the easiest task of all time you can put out a bad reimagining of a game and they have not so far. No, they they've had monster or they've had Resident Evil seven, which was the catalyst of what Capcom is today. And then they went on to do monster hunter world, Resident Evil village, Resident Evil two remake, Resident Evil three remake, Resident Evil four remake, devil may cry five people adored that street fighter six is ridiculously flashy it looks so good it feels so good played the demo finally that that's going to be a, a smash hit for capcom mm-hmm. as well so everything that they're touching right now is just delivering and much like insomniac it's just game after game after game we're getting we're waiting at most two years between capcom games pretty much every single year they've had something and that is not something any other pub big publisher is doing right now they are delivering quality and consistency on a level that is we haven't seen in a long time from anyone in the space. So Capcom, don't change a thing. Whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. They just opened up a brand new studio as well. And that looks incredible. So it seems like they are on board to invest in their games and invest in their teams. And they're giving everyone, at least in the US, I don't, I know the Japan situation in terms of compensation is a problem, but they gave everyone in the US a raise, which which is a good sign. You know, you don't see a lot of people pay it forward when it comes to that success. So Capcom, let's go, baby. Yeah. Number four, we got From Software, Insomniac, Capcom. Who you got next? This is going to be kind of an an offshoot, but I think that they deserve it because I feel like everything they've put out has been a banger and they are continuing to and showing that they are committing to put out those level of quality games. I'm going to put Super Giant up there. So, oh, you're gonna okay, super. I think giant. super giant, like super. kind of starting that their their lineage with Bastion, and then moving on to uh, Pyre and Transistor, and then Hades becoming one of the best games reviewed games of all time, and then them just being like, "Hey, we're making Hades too." I think was one of the best moments of the Game Awards last year. Seeing that trailer pop up, and you're going, "Oh, this is a new super giant game." There's no way it's Hades 2, right? Like, I feel like they're going to make something else. And the fact that they are making Hades 2 
is just so freaking exciting to me. I, I feel like we got to shout them out too because it's obviously as a smaller developer, you can't just have that volume like these larger developers have or these larger publishers like your Capcoms or like like your Insomniacs. The budget just isn't quite there, right? They can't just keep on putting out games nonstop. But everyone they've done has been like put into the list of best indie games, best RPG, best game, uh, you know, whatever the hell of that year. So I'd put Supermassive oh, in the list there. Yeah, that's um, it's always exciting to see an independent developer get on the big stage when it comes to game of the year consideration. And that's not something that's easy for even the biggest AAA publishers to do. It's not something that unlimited resources guarantees in this day and age. Obviously it helps when you have a lot of resources to dump into a game, but to see smaller teams deliver projects like Hades that people love and point to and just, and celebrate in such a huge way and become these moments for that team and the games industry as a whole, it's exciting. And it's really cool that, they are shining examples of that of the idea that anyone can get in the space and and be an authority figure, be be someone to look at, regardless of you know who you're attached to in 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 a publisher sense or a budget sense. So yeah, super super massive. Um, absolutely. Or super giant. Sorry, not yeah, super massive. Okay, yes. that's what I thought. Super giant. Change it to super massive. I had super giant on the mind, and I said massive for whatever reason. Um um, now we're down to one spot. Now it gets really tricky. Because I have a list of a lot of teams that I look Hit to. me with something. Hit me. I might be alone on this fence here, but... And the launch of their last game maybe wasn't the most shining example, but someone that I look at right now and, and get more excited about the future and the promise of what they can deliver and the way that they deliver ideas is, is Rare. Rare's been a legacy developer for a very long wow. time. Yeah. They've delivered some of the most beloved games of all time, Donkey Kong Country, uh, Banjo-Kazooie. Um, but while I love the legacy, while I love me some Donkey Kong Country, don't get me wrong, absolutely love it. Um, sea of Thieves, for me, is one of the most important IP of the last decade because of the ideas that it brings to the table. It it celebrates game design in a way that you AAA publishers or AAA developers are willing to do. And it says, how do we create an experience that is unlike anything else? All of the gameplay systems, all of the gameplay ideas presented in something like Sea of Thieves are wholly unique and wholly contained to Sea of Thieves. And no other game has systems or gameplay mechanics like that. And to be able to do that in this current day and age is... It feels impossible. It feels impossible for somebody to come to the table with a fresh idea that has never been done before and deliver on gameplay systems that aren't derivative of something else. Uh, obviously, we're, we're, looter shooters are huge. And while I love me a good mm -hmm. looter shooter and I love me a good open world RPG, you can point to specific ideas or mechanics <clears throat> or gameplay systems that come from somewhere else. And obviously, Rare you know, pulls inspiration and pulls inspiration from other mediums to create Sea of Thieves. But Sea of Thieves, to me, is just such a fresh idea. And that is what excites me the most, is, is those moments and those ideas and those game worlds that you dive into the first time, dive into for the first time, and it feels just wholly unique and wholly special. And that's why 
you know, I, I'm excited about Everwild, despite the fact that some people look at the development and say, well, where is it? Like it was announced years ago. I hope that Everwild is Sea of Thieves in the sense that they are taking the time to sit down and say, what is this experience and how is it going to be unlike anything you've experienced in a game before? So for me, that's one developer that I rally behind and would love to see on this list. But I'd be curious to see if you have someone you feel deserves the spot more. Well, one thing I just wanted to shout out was that I think that what I love the most about Rare is that commitment to it and the fact that Xbox is so committed to Sea of Thieves as a product and as a, a platform. Because I feel like in a lot of cases, that game gets given up on too early before ideas can be fully fleshed out and before people can really kind of see the vision of what this developer is trying to do. It happens so many times with games. I don't want to call like see if these is like a games as a service. It kind of is, but it, it isn't. Of, you know, it kind of is. It, yeah, it, it lives in the kind of an odd space for me. But um, I don't think it's like uh, season three, new battle pass type stuff. Like I don't really think of it in that way. I feel like it's more of a No Man's Sky type game for me. Uh, whenever there is a new big content drop, and uh, I feel like a lot of games of that ilk get given up on too quickly before you can really see what is going to be special about it. So I love that. I love that Xbox is still rocking with it. And I love that Rare is still rocking with it as well. Um, a lot of people, some people in the chat are calling out Atlas. I think that's a pretty good call as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I was thinking like game developers, I, I, I was just thinking of like of recent times, who's the most consistent. And I think like, I'm not a huge persona fan, but I feel like I, I'm just not a real big turn-based guy anyway, but I think Atlas ha does have to be shouted out with the level of quality that they are putting out. So that is a good call out by the chat. Yeah, Atlas um, Obsidian is another one that it comes up when I think of consistency, when it comes to things like Grounded, when it comes to the Outer Worlds, when it comes to Pentiment. Yeah. Their recent trajectory has been stellar, and they have been delivering fast and on a, on a high level for a while now. So that's another one that, and again, this fifth spot is tough because there are so many teams that I look at and say, damn, they're killing it right now. They're absolutely killing it. So that's why I could go, I could really go either way. I'm wondering if there's one that you, you would demand make this. I mean, not really. I just feel like as long as from and insomniac are on there, I think you made a great call. I know some people uh, on chat are like, is it Capcom a publisher? But I think we're talking about like the different they, teams they that they both. have within Capcom. Yeah. Yeah, like I was doing some digging and it's weird because like the developer and publisher will be Capcom. But it'll be like Capcom Division One and Capcom yeah. Division. So it's I don't know. It's, it's hard to really segment the teams there. But um, regardless, both all of their teams um, have been delivering. So, yes, Capcom is a publisher, also a developer. So when I think of when I think of developers that are going to um, whenever you see that logo pop, it means something. It's special it means that you're in for a pretty big experience that I feel like kind of goes further than just the games industry. Um, and for me, that's either like Rockstar or Naughty Dog. Yeah. We haven't seen a whole lot from them lately. Well, I mean, mo mostly Rockstar, right? I mean, aside from that GTA 6 leak, but like whenever that logo drops and you know that that new title is coming from Rockstar, you know that it's going to make waves in the industry. And I feel the same way about Naughty Dog. Um, I think back to Last of Us 2 getting revealed. Uh, and 
seeing that logo drop and you go, oh, shit, this is going to be something kind of special. Um, I feel that the same way about those two developers. And I can't really think of other ones. I'm thinking like. Shoot, I'm kind of just blanking right now. I don't really know who could be this fifth spot. Yeah, Rockstar and Naughty Dog are both great shouts. They were on my short list as well because they bring video games to just a, a massive mainstream audience. Grand Theft Auto is such a behemoth in the space. But despite the fact that some of us are sick of hearing about Grand Theft Auto, and it's been a long time since they've delivered anything new, um, you even had people like Kojima back when Grand Theft Auto V was being shown talking about being depressed when he saw Grand Theft Auto V because he knew, like, I can't, I can't deliver an open-world game like that. Like, this, this thing kills it. Like, they do an amazing job. So while they have an army, like, that, that development those development teams, because that's another series of teams. Like they have a huge number of developers and they are working on Grand Theft Auto six at this point, which is going to be an absolute juggernaut. So yeah, probably they are probably worthy of a shout as well. Um, so I don't know who we putting though, who we putting for five. Um, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to give you the final call here. I'd say throw, I'd say throw naughty dog on there. Naughty Dog. Oh, on an Xbox show? What have you done, dude? Mm-hmm. What, what have you done sorry. here? Naughty I'm sorry, dog. Xbox listeners. Wow. Okay. Uh, so we have From Software, Insomniac, Capcom, Supergiant, and Naughty Dog. I think that's a respectable list. Regardless of where you're at, how you feel, I think all of those teams have been delivering the goods and will continue to deliver the goods. Um, cool. I'm going to get some Super Chats because people are sharing their rankings here. We got... Nick W, who says, number one, Capcom. Number two, From Software. Number three, Atlas. Number four, Nintendo. Number five, Insomniac. See, I was going to mention Nintendo, but again... It's a weird one. It's It's a a weird weird one. one. They are also a publisher and developer, but they do also partner with other developers to publish the game. So, obviously, Nintendo drops bangers. Super Mario Odyssey, best 3D platformer of all time. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, the greatest fighter of all time which was in, you know, co-developed by Bandai. So maybe Bandai needs to be on this list. I don't know. I didn't bring up Nintendo because it was kind of complicated, but I agree. Nintendo rips. And number five, Insomniac. Uh, Nintendon, the otaku, says, number one, Nintendo EPD. Three. Oh, sorry. Nintendo EPD three, the Zelda team. Two, EP... Okay, so Nintendon. I would expect Nintendon to have all the juicy deets about how that development pipeline works. So here we go. Number one, Nintendo EPD three, the Zelda team. Number two, EPD eight, the 3D Mario team. Number three, EPD nine, the Mario Kart slash arms team. Number four, EPD five, Splatoon and Animal Crossing. And number five, Monolith Soft. Thank you. For dropping them that knowledge about the development seg st- pipeline for uh nintendo i remember arms i do that was fun that was you know back when it was a gimmicky switch yeah we're using the motion control still let's go we're in my living room swinging my arms around punching dude you look like a psycho out there yeah uh nintendo dropping a spicy uh super chances insomniac hasn't made a great game since the ps3 they make good games but haven't made anything special in years they don't deserve to be up there Strong words. Strong went. Strong words. Uh, super chat from Snowbike Mike. Three four three. Throwing some respect oh, on three four three. Oh Mike. 
Do you disagree? Do you not think Mike that... knows what he's doing? Mike, Mike knows are what you he's stirring doing. the pot? Are you... <laughs> Mike is stirring the pot. Ma... Snow, <laughs> snow bike, Michael. Are you stirring the pot on this show? Mike has to ride or die, and I understand it. He's got to he's got to ride or die for the squad. Okay. But I think we all know that if there was a battle royale for Halo, we'd all be rocking with it. <laughs> I think so, yeah, yeah, I think so. I've been going back. I'm playing Halo Infinite recently, having fun. Um, but yeah, I definitely have complained a lot about the saga of Halo Infinite. Um, I think we all have. <laughs> okay, okay. Andy, we shows, we've had some great conversations. We've had a lot of great conversations, and I don't want to keep you forever. Um, but do you have time to go over the CMA blocking Xbox? I mean, this is best case scenario for me, because if, Miles, if you're like, you know what, we only have five minutes for these stupid goddamn stories <laughs> that i don't care at all about that i'm like hell yeah let's rock it because again you know, mike's in the mike's in the chat right now you know i you know i i, I pop on an internet podcast because i want to listen to what the latest hot thing is i don't want to know about rich people getting richer or rich people not being able to be incredibly rich or just like super mega rich it's just like, these are such non-stories, but go ahead, Miles. I'm here. I'm here to rock. Right, okay, let's go. Let's go. Appreciate, we're we're going to try to have some fun with it. So obviously, if you were in the Xbox camp, it's been it's been a week. Uh, it's been a, an 18 it's months. It's been a I year. It's been 18 <laughs> months of ABK. And a lot of us were like, okay, you know, we have to endure the conversations. We have to listen to it, but we're coming up on the deadlines. These deadlines are, are, are coming up. Things look good. You know, things seem positive. There doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, pushback from a lot of these regulatory bodies. Uh, we even had CMA, which was the big holdout a few weeks ago, come out and say, yeah, we've looked at the deal. We don't really see anything too problematic in terms of competition here. seems like things are okay. And people looked at that and said, wow, the CMA's on board. Maybe this thing's going to be done. And then we had some breaking reports this week that Microsoft was ready to push the deal through as soon as the CMA gave the green light. And it seemed like they were expecting the CMA to say, you're good, baby. Let's get this thing going. Let's pack it up. Let's get Call of Duty and Game Pass. Let's get Diablo and Game Pass. Let's let's do this deal. Let's let you spend massive twist. <laughs> exactly. Let's let you spend sixty nine billion on this deal, and then in what was a genuine bombshell, and I'm sure a genuine shock to Microsoft, CMA said, "Nah, dog. Sorry. Psych. Guess what? We're worried about your cloud stuff. All right. We." We don't know all that much about it. We've done some reading, <laughs> but it sounds scary and we're a little concerned about the cloud stuff. So we're not, you know, we don't care about the Call of Duty. That's fine. You're playing cool. You're playing nice. That's whatever. But we're worried that you're going to dominate the cloud market. And for the the UK, the cloud market is very small, very, very, very small. So, but the, U, the CMA in the UK has come out and said that that's the reason. That is the reason that they are straight up blocking the deal, the merger from going through in the UK. So now Xbox is in just red alert. They're all hands on deck meetings with Phil Spencer, the executive leadership team, and they're trying to figure out ways to get this deal to go through because now they either have to go through an appeal process or they have to prove through partnerships and collaborations that this isn't a problem. Hey, we're going to play nice in the cloud space. We're going to play nice with everyone. We've seen them sign deals with NVIDIA, with all of these different players to say, hey, we're cool. We are chill, all right? We're going to bring Call of Duty here. We're going to bring Call of Duty. They're Oprah. They're giving Call of Duty to anyone and everyone who wants it, all right? They're like, hey, we're I cool. 
I feel like every other week at three in the morning, Phil Spencer's tweeting out, we're partnering with these guys with our cloud stuff. Okay, we're happy to have them on board. And it's it, it, it seemingly is never ending. The amount of different groups that I didn't even know existed pop up on these Xbox tweets saying that we are partnering with Microsoft Cloud. If I'm Microsoft, I'm just like, well, maybe we don't, you know, maybe let's drop the cloud stuff. Maybe <laughs> let's get this deal through, please. Please, God. Because they, from the jump, they have been saying that they would take this to court, they would fight it in court, but I have said this numerous times on the show, that is not the outcome that they wanted. They were doing everything in their power to make sure that this didn't go to court because sure, they could go to court, but they don't want to spend millions of dollars over the course of a year or more. There have been a appeal processes in the UK that have taken three years and this is the biggest deal ever in the gaming space. So that means an appeal process here would take a long time. It wouldn't be a brief, oh, a couple of months. Yeah, actually, you know what? We're good. Here's the quote that the CMA used just so we have the exact context for what the reason was. They're blocking it, quote, over concerns the deal would alter the future of the fast growing cloud gaming market, end quote. And I don't know what Microsoft does here. I don't know what where they go from here. Obviously, this appeal will go through and this appeal will take God knows how long. And we'll have to keep hearing about these reports on podcasts all around the world. Uh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> feed the machine, baby. I, I just I, I don't know where Microsoft goes from here. I don't I, I don't. What's shocking to me is that, like, I know in the back of their minds, they weren't expecting this to be the hang up. no. No, it's such a weird kind of curveball that came out of nowhere. And that's where it's like, well, sh that's your issue. How? Why? Nobody else has had an issue with that part of it. Everybody's had an issue with Call of Duty and all that other stuff we just mentioned. But why is this the big hang up? So that's where it's like, what happens now? Where and do we go from And here? then there's been the discourse saying, oh, you know, there's been collusion between the FTC and the CMA. I mean, I don't have the information, so I don't really want to go into all of that. Um, but a lot of people are looking at the cloud gaming market in the UK because this is the UK regulatory body and they are saying, yo, your cloud gaming market is nothing. There's hardly anyone there. So this is the catalyst for you not letting this deal go through because somebody was saying that it was like 10,000, like at any, any given time, it's such a small percentage of players. And like you 10, said, 10,000 uh, like cloud gamers. There are figures that are throwing numbers that small and they're like, holy cow. Like it's such a small fraction of the player base in the UK. And so now analysts like Michael Pactor and other figures are saying, well, they could push the deal through anyway. They could say, all right, we're just not going to make this a thing in people in the UK just aren't going to get call of duty in the cloud. People in the UK just aren't going to get all of these things. So there is a possibility according to some folks that this just goes through anyway but with all of these weird loopholes where some countries just don't get things but then you have microsoft who has active developers in the uk yeah and they have a strong audience in the uk and they were using this to obviously leverage their ecosystem and to leverage xbox game pass and then you can't leverage that in one of your biggest markets which seems like an odd move so do you think they would just push this through and say, hey, sorry, UK folks, like, we'll figure it out later? It's, it's such an, uh, an odd situation. Um, again, them not 
them not knowing that this would be the massive hangup on for such a small kind of deal. Um, I wonder, like, what are shareholders rooting for? Uh, based do, do on the fact that Activision's stock tanked and Microsoft spiked, Microsoft shareholders don't want Microsoft to spend $69 billion, Yeah. And Activision shareholders are pleading and begging that this goes through. Yeah, it's such a weird situation. If I'm Microsoft, I, I drop and do whatever needs to be done to get this deal through with the least headaches possible. You don't want to keep dragging this out. You don't want there to be more and more doubt in the minds of these shareholders. Um, and as a gamer, I could not give a lesser shit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. That's where I'm at. That's where Macro I'm at. Macroeconomics doesn't get you riled up? Doesn't get you hot and bothered? I'm just, I'm just like, God damn, you know, like you're swapping around the channels and you see C-SPAN or you like, you know, get out of my face. You know, like that's where I'm at with this whole story. I, I think that... Um, I think that Microsoft is in a, a really odd space and an odd situation with this. And I think that it's in their best interest to get it pushed through in the fastest, quickest, easy way possible. It's not like it's not like they're being told that they can't um, sell hardware in the UK. It's not that they're being told that they can't sell a certain IP in the UK. It's that they're being told that, hey, your dominance here, your dominance in the cloud space is too strong. That's where our big hang up is. I think you drop that then. As a non-cloud gamer, Miles, I'm like, screw it. Get it out of my face. <laughs> Get it out of here. Drop the whole thing entirely. You know what I mean? But again, that's why that's why I'm not, you know, sitting in a big table with a nice fancy suit. Yeah, exactly. I've talked to people in the UK about, hey, what if Xbox did this? Would you care? And so I've had a mixed reaction. Some people are like, this would be a, kind of a huge bummer if all of these perks that everyone else in the world gets that we don't get because of this this technicality. But again, I'm sitting in the U.S. and like, if that's what they need to do just to be th done with it and move on and then go through the appeal process at a later time, then hell, like, do it. Because the the painful reality of this deal when it comes to Microsoft is there are there is $69 billion that cannot be spent on games, cannot be spent on innovation, cannot be spent on anything else because they are legally bound that if this deal goes through, they can push this through, they have to spend $69 billion cash. Microsoft is a huge company, they have a lot of money, but that being said, I can guarantee that that has impacted the way they approach day-to-day -day operations and business. Yep. Because the economy, as we've seen since this deal started, has, has taken a hit. They just had to announce some layoffs. They were expecting to be a lot lower with their earnings. So there's all of these negative factors that are compounding the stress of this deal going through. And sure, they could theoretically take this to court. But again, that's all this time and all this money. And guess what? That entire time, all, all that money sits there. It has to sit there. It can't go anywhere, which means they can't spend it, which means they can't buy, you know, more publishers or invest in games or invest in their teams in the way that they probably want to. So this whole thing has been just a huge distraction for Xbox for 18 months, just from an optics perspective and from a financial perspective. It is distracted from the ability of them to invest in certain avenues. They are still investing. Um, they, like I said, there are a lot of resources, but the hard reality is that is a huge amount of money that cannot be used. They have to have that money. There are a lot of legal consequences if things go wrong and they don't have $69 billion cash. And $69 billion cash, that's a lot of capital to have sitting around even for a Microsoft. So there's a lot of stress with that. So the it's last- so, I was just gonna say, it's so awkward to think of 
it's so wild to think of where Microsoft was when the night that this was this news was sort of broken. And you just think like, God damn, they cannot miss right now. They, it's just W after W after W. And ever since then, it's this has been like kind of the curse acquisition that I feel like this has led not directly. Right. This isn't like a direct correlation to a lot of the other issues Microsoft has had. But I feel like just little compounding fractures here and there because of this one acquisition that has not fully gone through yet. Yes. And the, the thing about this acquisition is this wasn't some 4D chest mega brain move. This was something that came out of opportunity. Activision took a hit. They had a genuine opportunity and Activision was looking to sell and talking to other parties. And Microsoft was like, yo, someone else might buy this. We have a chance to buy Activision. Should we do this? Everyone agreed that, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Let's spend the money. Let's get it for a great price while we can. But like you said, it's just been this saga since then. And all of the momentum that Xbox had and all of the goodwill that Xbox had coming from the tail end of the last generation into this generation with the launch of the Xbox Series X and S, like all of that momentum, at least for the people who are online, is just gone. It's just, there's so much, ne you've seen it this year. This year has been so negative because 2022 Xbox didn't deliver for fans. This year in particular, there's just been negative PR beats over and over and over and over for Microsoft. So if you're someone who's invested in the, the conversations, you're online, there's not a lot of big positive moments for Xbox as of late. Hi-Fi Rush. We started the year so strong. It was this amazing moment. The shadow drop. Everyone's like, yo, this game owns. This is a straight up game of the year contender. Microsoft shadow dropped this absolute bop. The developer direct that they did was a huge success. People were excited about the format, excited about the future. And then since that moment, we have not really had a big positive PR beat. Um, and it's just been this obsession with the Activision Blizzard deal. And it's just, if you're Xbox, you can back out now. You can pay three, $4 billion and you can say, all right, we tried, we, we gave it a good shot. We tried, here you go, Activision, here's your money. We're gonna, we're gonna dip. And you could take that, the, that money you have set aside and you could instantly turn around and you can invest that in teams. You could you could find some developers. You could find some not publishers. Microsoft Teams the application like actual oh, Teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, please not that. Or maybe maybe it needs sixty nine billion dollars to be a worthwhile service. Viable. But, um, yeah. That being said, you could take all that money and you could turn that around and just say, hey, call every publisher you know, Capcom, FromSoft. What do you got to work on? You want a couple billion? Because we we're, we're we're looking to spend some money. We got some money to throw around, and we can't spend it on Activision. So. Andy, if you're making the call, if you're sitting in that desk in your little suit, you got your suit and tie, and they say, Andy, okay, we need your call, man. Did we pull out? Did we just eat the $4 billion and then spend it elsewhere? I um, think you're in too deep. I, I, I think you pushed through. I think at this point, so much effort has been put in, and you've had so many moments where you go to sleep at night as one of these executives thinking, oh, I can't wait for this deal to finally be pushed through. And you are constantly awoken with disappointing phone calls at 4 a.m. or whatever. I think that you have to see this through. I think that the IP involved is too valuable. I think that um, there's just too much to lose if you don't have this go through. Both parties seem very invested. Activision, obviously, very invested. Microsoft seems invested. Because it will mean a lot for various factors for the Xbox ecosystem. First and foremost... Uh, Activision has a huge player pool. The data came out from their earnings report that said it was like 350 million active players. 
Xbox doesn't have 350 million active players. That is staggering. That is a lot of people that would instantly be attached to the Xbox ecosystem. On the flip side, Xbox wants to la launch its own mobile store, its own mobile platform. It doesn't have a lot of mobile games or mobile support, but you would get Candy Crush, you would get Call of Duty Mobile, and you could instantly have a reason to sign up and launch that. So there's a huge push for mobile, and there's a lot of money to be made in the mobile space, which, again, for the more core audience, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to the boring financials, you need that recurring revenue, monthly active users. You, you know the drill, all the stuff we see on the- Pays the bills. Exactly. And then you hope that that money comes in and they use that money to fund big, cool games. And that's that's the relationship we're all agreeing to here and, and hoping for the best is, all right, I'm gonna give you money. I'm gonna hope you use that money to give me something cool five years later. And that's where we're at with this Activision Blizzard deal is there is huge potential for what it could mean for Xbox. But it has been such a distraction to what Xbox is and what Xbox wants to be. And then we had Phil Spencer come out in. This is according to a report from Bloomberg, by the way, that there was an all hands meeting. Phil Spencer addressed staff and basically said that regardless of whether or not this deal goes through, that's not going to affect our future plans. We are going to continue to invest in gaming. We're going to continue to invest in the space. This would have accelerated our plans, but this isn't the catalyst because we've had analysts and other people come out and say, oh, well, if this d deal doesn't go through, Microsoft is going to just pull out of the gaming space. I don't think that's the reality. I think this was just a an opportunity that was presented to them that seemed like a no-brainer. Hey, we get Call of Duty. Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's do it right now. But it's become... Uh, as we've learned, not, and I don't think they expected it to be easy, but I don't think they expected this outcome from the CMA. And I think we've just, as people in the gaming space that have seen news jobs about acquisitions, it's, uh, there's always a little bit of concern uh, from uh, different authorities, but you're never really like, oh, this is 100% not going to happen. And the fact that we're even here, I think, is pretty surprising. I never, like, whenever I see a news job about some acquisition about Sony buying so and so, I never really think that, oh, well, that probably won't go through. And now this has kind of made me think otherwise. <laughs> it's been a roller coaster, this whole yeah. saga. It's every other week, it seems like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going through. All these countries are on board. All these teams are agreeing to these contracts. Nintendo's on board. Nvidia's on board. Everybody's on board. Let's go. This is going through. And then, Boom, in the day. Oh, now there are people, Jez Corden in particular, um, who have talked about the fact that because of the CMA's history with this sort of thing, that this deal is dead. This deal is absolutely dead now. There is no chance for it to go through. And if it goes through, it'll take years and years and years. So Yeesh. when you have Phil Spencer address the team and say things like, whether or not this deal goes through, it doesn't show a great deal of confidence in them guaranteeing this this deal will go through, which makes me feel like they are preparing some contingency plan. Yikes. Because like I said, they have stated very confidently that they would fight this in court because they have a strong case and blah. Yeah, sure they would. But if it takes years and years and years... Is, is that it the battle it? you want? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is that the, and we've seen Microsoft back out of other major deals because of the legal battles involved. So I agree. I think they are too invested at this point to back out and they're just going to stick their head down, get the deal through. 
and I hope for players and the average and the developers and everyone internally at Microsoft that that doesn't impact day to day, that things just continue as planned. They're still investing elsewhere. They're still figuring it out. And now they're just trying to supplement via other avenues. That's $69 billion they need to spend. Um, pray, uh, prayers up for everybody involved. I hope you all get your money. <laughs> I hope I hope everybody involved gets paid. You know, you all deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just let's uh, again. We were so close, Andy. Earlier just, this week, it seemed like maybe, maybe we were done having this conversation on <sighs> podcasts. This podcast could have been all about Jedi Survivor's bad frame rate. You know. Yeah, we could have talked about that for two full hours. <laughs> instead, here we are. Here. <laughs> Oh, we got a super chat from Snowbike Mike who says, ask Andy if he'll go to Sacktown with me for game seven. I saved my, my pennies to buy tickets for us. Mike wants to buy you a ticket. Not me. What's up with that? It's just Andy now, okay? Didn't save up enough pennies, but whatever. Mike wants to go to game seven of the Warriors-Kings series, Golden State Warriors or Sacramento Kings. And I, I just like, I think he said $400 per ticket in nosebleeds. And I'm like, do I'm not sorry, spend that. What? Yeah, like $400 for the worst seating possible. And I said, you're crazy. Under no circumstance will you spend that much money on a ticket for yourself, much less a ticket for me as well. <laughs> I will decline. Thank you. <laughs> that's that's going to be a no from Andy, Mike. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be a no. All right, Andy, we did it. We talked about ABK. We talked about the CMA. We talked about mergers and acquisitions. We talked about the micro macroeconomic climate. Uh, <laughs> I stayed awake. So, like I, I did it. Oh, Pat. we did it, Give man! It up for me, Andy. I appreciate you. We're gonna start wrapping the show up. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. This again, a little bit longer, but we had we had some good conversations. We got to talk mostly about video games, which is why I think a lot of us are here. That's why I'm here. Absolutely, same. So I appreciate you, man. One more time for all the amazing people hanging out with us, whether it's on YouTube or audio services. Where can they get a hold of you? Uh, I am the Andy Cortez pretty much everywhere. I am Andy Cortez on Twitch. I am the Andy Cortez on YouTube. If in case anybody's like, oh, I'd like to watch this gay play through his Souls games for the first time. Uh, all the VODs are up. Really, really nice, high quality. So go check out the YouTube channel. And then, of course, I work with Kind of Funny Games. And we do a lot of reviews and uh, discussions and talk about the industry in the same way you're doing now. So twitch.tv slash kind of funny games, youtube.com slash kind of funny games. Beautiful. Yeah. A lot of amazing folks. Kind of funny. Mike's been in the chat. Paris has been in the chat. Those folks. Oh, Paris is here. Oh, yeah, Paris was face, here. Man. You know, Paris, it's just, he makes it his duty to clown on me. Can you guys talk to him behind the scenes about that? I feel like I'm, he's got a harassment campaign against me, you know? I mean, that's, that's, it's you and everyone else. All right. You and everyone I don't know what else, his huh? problem is. Are we going to be throwing down the next creator clash? <laughs> Paris? I think uh, it has to be like a 4v1 though. <laughs> yeah. You got to get you, me and Mike versus Paris at the next creator clash. I'll take his ankles out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll grab on his back and, and try to choke <laughs> him out. That'll be my strat. Uh, <laughs> for everyone else who jo joined in, watched live, supports the show appreciate you all so much um have an amazing week have an amazing weekend and i will catch you next saturday take care everybody